D. P. P. The Steve Dangle Podcast. With your hosts, Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Let's go! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back a favorite of ours, and it's been way too long, Ken Reed! No one, no one is better at inviting himself onto the Steve Dangle Podcast than me. No one. I know you guys... As a journalist, you have to track people down. I bug Dangle all the time. Time yet? Time yet? Podcast yet? Podcast yet? New book? New book? Gotta get on? Gotta get on? You're just, you know, Ken, we take you for granted. And mm-hmm. and we shouldn't. You teach me every day that we shouldn't. Because I'm always like, let's book some fancy pants guests. Let's let's get this guy. Let's get that guy. And you're like, what about Mr. Yankov's pupil? Yeah, and I right. say, you know what? You're right. His I had a great- yeah, I haven't talked to you guys since I last saw Mr. Yankov, my old uh, high school junior high gym teacher. It was a year ago. I Well, no, geez, uh, 13 months ago I saw Mr. Yankov. Out of the blue. He shocked me. It was awesome. I was home. It was wicked. He just came over? Well, I was uh, – I'll, 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 I'll brag a little, boys, here. Okay, being, all right. I, I was being inducted into the Victor County Sports Hall of Fame. Woo! Yeah, look at that. Everybody. I had to go back home for the inductions. Me and Arash Danny, we we dominate Northern and Mid Nova Scotia Hall of Fames. <laughs> so uh, they inducted me, and my old science teacher, Jimmy Nick, Mister Nicholson, is on the board of the Hall of Fame. So when it's time, they so they, you know, they 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 shout you out. They go down all your accolades. My list was very short, obviously. And then someone comes up and gives you the certificate and the button, and they shake your hand and they say, "Now to induct." Kenny into the Hall of Fame, his old gym teacher, Mr. Yankoff. And out of the crowd of 500 emerges Mr. Yankoff. The place goes nuts. It was freaking awesome. And he's like, I love those stores, boy. I love them. He's like, my, my daughter showed them to me on the computer, boy. And it's good publicity. So it was awesome. He, Mr. Yankoff, like a lot of people, like when you were a kid, right? Mr. Yankoff was this tough, intimidating guy. But like a lot of people, he's mellowed with age. He's this happy guy. And it was awesome seeing him right out of the blue. And it was so cute in time that he, he came up. And and I was like, how bad was I, Mr. Yankov? He's like, you were easy. You were one of our good students. Not like that mock Haroon. Like every every second class, Haroon, out of here, boy! <laughs> in, in, in grade eight, he taught us Greco-Roman wrestling. He's like, I need to demonstrate. Haroon, get over here. So like, he's got Haroon in the chicken wing and the full suplex. And then the next class, Haroon, chicken wing, Stephen Kellogg, and broke his collarbone. So it was quite controversial. Oh, oh my God. God. Does, yeah, it, was, it was awesome. Does Mr. Grab- Yankoff understand how famous he is over here? Because, like, I think so. Oh, okay. Like, well, he has a daughter that's kind of, uh, she showed him the videos. You, what you guys should do is get him on. Because, oh. uh, He's famous and he's famous to me and my buddies, and now he's famous in our world here uh, on the podcast. But I think he would appreciate the fame. He was like Mr. Yankov was a good athlete in the day, like. Uh, but his famous line was, "So we'd play basketball." He's like, "Always use the backboard, boy. It's there to help. None of this modern swish." So he'd show you how to use the. He'd show you how to. He'd show you. He'd show you how to use the backboard, and he's like, "Now do a layup up," and you'd be like, "Will you show me?" He goes. I don't have to prove myself to you, boy. That was his line. His line was always, I don't have to prove myself to you, boy. But the one thing he would always demonstrate was the rings. Remember the old gymnastic yep. rings? Yeah. He'd come down from the Pico Academy gym. 
and Yankov would sit on them, and he'd be shaking and shaking. He'd Cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He turned <laughs> he turned beet red. He didn't practice yoga breathing during it, so he turned beet red, and then he'd get down. But uh, some of my best memories of Mr. Yankov was when he was elevated, like so he'd do the rings. He was elevated when uh, Scott Landry fought the bully in grade six. Yankov was taking down the decorations from the high school dance the night before, and and the fight broke out during calisthenics because Yankov would be like left pivot right pivot and and, the, and yeah and we were we were doing drills i think we were getting ready to jump on the what's the one the where you jump off and you go over the horse you know with the the gymnast ran into a oh cat. yeah pommel horse? Pommel horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah we were getting ready to do that and now label took a shot at scott landry and scott landry made this like over the top fist it was slow moan he took her back took her back and, and it was, i still remember it was slow moan he connected and he got alan pretty good alan was a good dude and and it, like Yankov looked down and all the kids were cheering, right? And Scotty pummeled the poor kid. And it was it was like uh, it was like the, the revenge of the bully. Alan's a stellar buddy and stuff, but um, Yankov instead of Jake breaking it up, he just stood on top of the ladder, literally stood on top of the ladder and watched it. And then the, as the fight broke up, he's like, "Not bad, boss. Out of here." <laughs> <laughs> so Yank, Yankov was like a good hockey linesman. He's not—he wasn't one of these modern hockey linesmen that jump in. If there was a go, Yankov would let you go, and that was—that's what I, one of the things I admired about Mr. Yankov. J A N K O V Carolal Bears for all your berry needs. <laughs> yeah, he's got a strawberry farm, right? right. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, strawberries uh, outside of Picto. Yeah, uh, on Car- Caribou Island. Not far from the lovely Picto Lodge. Lodge. <laughs> you are literally the one-man tourism uh, committee for Nova Scotia, I especially Picto County. Hey, but, man, uh, you got to be proud of where you're from, right? Pic- Picto's, a sm- Picto's basically a smaller schwa. Ah, oh, well, now mm-hmm. I understand what you're talking about. That's mm-hmm. good. <laughs> Ken, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, the thing I got to ask is, is this the only place you've told Mr. Yankoff stories? Do you... Does that make it on the air? Do you tell it like yeah, Tim and Sid? Yeah. Like, we're, yeah, I, th- I talk about I talk about Mr. Yankoff on the air with Ivanka all the time. Ivanka loves Mr. Yankoff. Oh. Um, so whenever we're doing we're doing basketball highlights, I usually bring up Mr. Yankoff. And 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 one guy wrote me and I said, "Who's this Mr. Yankoff you always talk about?" And my only response was, "You haven't been watching enough." So just keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> You'll figure it out. But so when I bring up Yankoff on the air, it is always for a long three pointer. Because, you know, before gym class, we'd play basketball to warm up. And if anyone took a shot from outside the three-point line, out of here, boy! <laughs> Enough of those dream shots, boy! Like he thought a three-pointer was a dream shot. Because you got to remember, <laughs> Mr. Yankoff is pre-three-point shot. Yeah, so, right. dream shot. so Mr. Yankoff's looking in the paint, looking in the paint. You know, one of those guys. Right. So if, if you even attempted a three-pointer, he'd kick you out of class. Wow, <laughs> that's so ridiculous! That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Out of here, boy. Dream shot. Like Harone would always take uh, dream shots from the half. He'd kick you out. And then they, I remember they made the uh, they made the small gym for elementary students. And gym class in those days, I'm not sure if it still is, was divided. The girls would go in one gym, and the guys would go in the other. Uh, the guys would have the larger gym. The girls would have the smaller gym. Every once in a while, we'd trade. And we traded one day, and the nets in the elementary gym are only eight feet. So Harone dunked on a net and. You could hear it snap. That was a quick. That was a quick out of here, boy. Yeah. Another, another time, I think I told. I think I told you guys this one before. But another time, we were in the small gym and somebody fouled somebody really hard, and then her own fouled the guy really hard. And Jan, Jan goes, "All right, boys, 
You want to play full contact basketball? Set the mats up. So we put the mats around the walls and we played full contact basketball. Amazing. <laughs> oh my God. No, I don't think you told that one. You yeah. could just blow somebody up. That would be great. And, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Haroon got pinned under a bunch of the mats and Yankoff was encouraging people to pile on. Get on there, boys. So um, <laughs> that was good. And, and now Mr. Yankoff plays the piano for seniors. So it's, you know. Wow. wow. What, a, what a life. It's amazing. Oh, he's, he's the best. He's the best. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask, Ken, with um, uh, uh, with Ivanka off, mm -hmm. um, you're working with Carly as well. Yeah. Um, like this, this whole uh, this whole pandemic thing has kind of thrown everybody for a loop, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you guys were doing a show without highlights for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, or, or, yeah. or even now recently, like literally it's just the NFL that's left right now. Yeah, there's nights where you have no highlights. Yeah. So what do you do? You chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're you no make, good you, at that. It's too bad. <laughs> you make stuff up. Uh, no, you just like, I mean, we got our goal of the best goal of the 21st century countdown. You talk to my buddy, Kyle Brandt from the NFL network. Uh, you, you do the hot stove thing with hockey. You talk to hockey insiders. You talk to the baseball guys about any rumors, but yeah, there's no highlights to, to take you all the way through the show. So we usually, instead of doing a full hour now, we'll loop a half hour because you can't really give people something that's not there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, I'm like you guys. I, I'm sure you guys don't care about escrow. You don't care about a cap. I just care about what's on the ice. Uh, there's there's uh, websites for nerds that are into that stuff. So go there. <laughs> don't come to me for that, geeks. So I, I just I just I just want to see the game. I just want to see the game and, and all the talk about, oh, players fighting with owners right now. Just come on, guys. Seriously. Both sides. Figure it out. You know, figure it out. Then get back to me. That's kind of where I stand on that. We we were talking to Tim and Sid about this uh, last show. Uh, do you? I want I want to know what your day was like, or few days were like, March eleventh, March twelfth, when this all kicked off. So that's the that's the Rudy Gobert news. Yeah, that's the NBA shutting down news, and then the next day the NHL. By the way, I saw the Tim and Sid exchange where Tim uh, Sid called me a dick and stuff like that, and. <laughs> and and uh and and you guys said i was like a grade 10 student i thought i need to come back but then i thought there's nothing wrong with the truth and you guys spoke the absolute truth i am like a grade 10 child <laughs> I, Dude, I collect it's look so at true. my room look it's, at my room exactly and I'm, i i have no look at mine look at mine i have no shame in that i'm i'm a man stuck in a child's body and or no i'm a man's body stuck in a child's mind i love it man what what do you need to act serious? Like, and, and I know you guys are doing that in fun, and that's fine. But I thought it was hilarious. I was, like, peeing myself. Because I love a good chirp. You've been with me in the dressing room, guys. I love a good oh, chirp. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, it's really quiet. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just kind of puts his equipment on and leaves. Well, I'll be honest. I stopped playing with the guys from work because no one talked. I was like, really? It was so quiet. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting up at the crack of noon to come play hockey with guys who aren't going to chirp. So that was that. Well, uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, Rudy Gobert night, as I call it. Uh, so it was just an ordinary night. You could sense, obviously, that you know you were probably on borrowed time. But when it happened, I hate to say it, but as a news guy, it's exciting because the Rudy Gobert thing happened. All of a sudden, uh, they're not playing in Denver, and all hell breaks loose. Those are the nights, and I always say this to people who are interested in broadcasting. You get paid for about 10 nights a year. The other night, you're just on 
you're not on autopilot, but you kind of know what's coming. That was one of the nights they paid us for. They threw me on the desk right away. You're going to talk to this guy from Denver. You're going to talk to this guy from Denver. This guy was at the game in Denver. You're going to talk to him. It was awesome. I hate, like, from my perspective, the excitement perspective, because it's what's happening. What are you seeing? What do you think is going to happen with the league? So you get a buzz from doing breaking news like that. But at the same time, you're, you're going, oh, man, this really stinks. This is, I feel really bad for these people. Then you got the, you're racking the footage of Gobert touching all the microphones a couple of days before, and you're going, oh, man. Uh, but it was wild. It was absolutely wild. That was my last night on the air was that Thursday night when all hell broke loose because I was scheduled to be off the Friday. Mm -hmm. So I was off the Friday. And then Sunday night, I got the, the memo, you're not coming back to work. And then I was really on, then I was really on autopilot. So, yeah, it was, I hate to say it was exciting, but it's one of those nights where as a, as a news guy, and I don't mean exciting in a good way. I mean, just your adrenaline gets going and you have a job to do and you do it. And those are the nights you get paid for. It's like when a trade happens, anything else, breaking news, same thing. And that's what you signed up for, right? You want yeah. that, that high, right? That excitement. Yeah. I can I remember that in just on the actual news side being at, you know, when I was at breakfast television, when something broke, it was huge. Like, it, yes, you go up to the fourth floor where the newsroom was and you could just feel the energy. And I would yeah. just sit there and absorb because I was doing entertainment. Like no yeah. one cares. Yeah. But like yeah. it was it was uh, I can remember when uh, I mean, God, when Trump got elected, what a oh, what God, a buzz man. that was in the in the newsroom. Right. I mean, it was, yeah. it was negative, but it was still a buzz. There was still a lot going on. And, and I think, um, you know, along those same lines, Ken, it's, you've got that doom and gloom sitting in the distance. Um, yeah. but you know, you, you do have, I understand that adrenaline rush cause there is, and that's why people love it. Yeah. It's one of those days where, um, you, you realize why you get hired, right? Cause everyone thinks I just read a teleprompter for a living. A lot of people think that. And some days you get to show that you don't, and I'm not saying I, I did it for an ego thing, but you have to be qualified. And it's one of those days you realize, okay, I can do the job. And, and I, I love being put out there with no teleprompter. I love being thrown out and just go. And you rely on your instincts. You rely on what you know. You rely on the research you've done beforehand. And those are those are fun. That's that's why I do the job, man. Like uh, throw me in the field. I quite enjoy it. Uh, throw me on the desk with no questions, no information. Figure your way around it. It's uh, that's it's it's definitely a buzz for sure. How many books do you need to have behind you for you to refer to yourself as an author? Because okay. I saw I saw that I saw that you don't like calling yourself a, a writer. There's the latest. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm gonna be honest. At 10 o'clock now, we do the show, Carly mm -hmm. and I, and then we do it till 10:30, and then we have to wait around till 1 a.m. in case something happens. There's nothing happening from 10:30 to 1. There's no sports on. We've been playing Jeopardy the past few couple weeks on her Netflix account <laughs> while it worked. Unbelievable. And every night I go, come on! Because every night on Jeopardy, a category comes up. Authors, 19th century novelists, you know, the written word. And I'm like, I hate this category. And Carly goes, you're an author. I go, I'm a dude who wrote six hockey books. I don't know anything about Mark Twain. Like Six? Twain. Yeah. <laughs> six. Oh, this is... This is the sixth angle. This oh. is the, sixth, the latest one to remember. Uh, yeah, I'm a dude who wrote six hockey books, but that doesn't mean I know anything about authors. So when people call me an author, I kind of laugh. I'm like, an author's George Orwell. An author's Mark Twain. And I know when I say those names, guys, I'm going over your head, but bear with me. So uh, I'm just, I don't know anything about authors. I just know, uh, I think I know a good story. 
So I write the stories down. So I'm a storyteller and a dude who writes books. I guess. Let me, how many books did you write uh, over the course of the lockdown while you were off? Like how many, how many are going to come out in 2021, Ken? <laughs> Popular question. The answer is zero. Uh, people are like, you must've got a lot of writing done. I'm like, no, I, I write when my kids are at school. You get a five-year-old and a oh. seven-year-old running around the house for six straight months. You get, you get no work done. I'm kind of, I, I do the hockey books with Disney's done to the Star Wars genre. That's just stuff falling out everywhere, right? You don't even know what it's about after a while. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, it's but true. this is this is the sixth one, one to remember. And it's along the lines of one night only. Instead of guys who played a single game, it's guys who scored a single goal. And it's for guys like us, just easy reading. And, and guys who, uh, when they play hockey, they, they dream of scoring in the NHL. So what's it actually like? So that's kind of what the book's all about. And it's it's interesting that you that you pick that one or that subject, Ken, because I feel like one goal in the NHL would probably mean a lot more than five hundred. And I know that that seems weird, but it's the one that sticks out. When you've got five hundred, you're you're piecing that feeling over five hundred. Mm-hmm. But you know, you've got that one to think about the rest of your life. Yeah, and that's so a, that's pretty amazing. That's what I think. That's what you think. That's what I thought going in. It's not what everybody that scored that goal thinks, right? Really? Oh, wow. They a lot of guys thought they would score 500, and they only ended up with one. So, are you? Is it a bummer? Is it a good thing? You'd be mm-hmm. surprised. Some guys were like, "Yeah, scored a goal in the NHL." Other guys were like, "I scored a goal in the NHL," and I could relate to the "I scored a goal in the NHL" guys a lot more because, as four wannabes here who dreamed of it, that's kind of what we think the reality would be. But that's not always what the reality is. I mean, I talked to first round picks. They thought they were going to score 500. The guys who really cherished it were the guys who thought they might max out at junior A or they dreamed of maybe playing a year pro in the East Coast League and they somehow found their way to the NHL and they scored. Those were the ones that it meant the most to us, probably guys who were more like us as opposed to the guys who from the time they were 12 years old were told, you're, you're going to play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. But it, it's funny, like some of the guys in the book couldn't even remember their goal. But then you, like uh, the late Dale Howard Chuck, who did score a ton of goals, he can remember every goal. He can tell you every, he could, Dale could tell you everything about every goal. It's like, I don't know if you guys golf, but when I'm done golfing, I can tell you every shot of the round. Uh, it's just the way it is. Dale can tell you every goal he ever scored. It's just the way Dale was wired. But uh, yeah, I went in thinking, guys, are it's going to be like, oh, candy and lollipops and rainbows. And it wasn't, man. It's a grind. And to get to the NHL for that one goal for some guys was a grind uh, to get sent down for some guys was just, you know, an utter disappointment. They looked at their careers as a disappointment where I wrote the book going in as, Oh my goodness, this is awesome. You scored a goal in the NHL. And I think over time guys have realized that it was awesome, but for a long time, it wasn't uh, mm. for quite a few of them. One guy even went into mental skills coach uh, as a mental skills coach to deal with it because he was a guy who was, you know, uh, first, second round pick. He was traded straight up for Kirk Muller once. Wow. And his name is Jason Padolan. And he runs a uh, site called upmyhockey.com now. And his whole his whole thing is mental skills for guys who are in his his skates, I should say, so that they don't have, end up fizzling out or, or, or dealing with regret down the road. Wow. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It took me quite. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, Oh, I scored a goal on Grant Fjord and I skated off the ice. And no, it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> I, I, uh, that is, that's fascinating stuff. And like, I'm, I, I'm, I hesitate to ask this question cause I don't want to blow the book, but is there a, is there a story in that book 
that you enjoyed doing, researching, interviewing? Like, is there the standout story for you that you're like, yeah. that is my favorite one? I think my, I don't, I can't, I don't necessarily have a favorite one, but I, oh, there was a lot of that were just, there was one that was wild about a guy being stabbed while he was in the NHL and no one knew, stabbed in a bar fight. That was, that blew my mind. The one I could relate to the most was the guy who, when we were talking right there at him, is like us, that was like, wow, scoring a goal. So his name was Frank Beaton. And you guys will love this because, you know, I like my old school hockey. So Frank's from Briley Brook, Anaganish County, Nova Scotia. Awesome. Was, ne- was never supposed to play in the National Hockey League. Um, ended up playing junior in Sarnia. Works his way through the low minors. Gets a WHA tryout. He's 175 pounds, but he fights everyone. And he beats the living piss out of everyone. When he starts in pro hockey, his nickname, so the story goes, and Frank will set us straight on this story in the book, his nickname is Never. Hey, Never, what's going on? As in Frank, never beaten. Later on in his career, he becomes seldom. Frank seldom beaten and of, and of course he knows it's time to retire by the time his nickname changes to always so oh. then it was time but Frank literally fought his way through the mind like I'm talking he played in the North American League which Slapshot was based on uh, fought his way into the National Hockey League for the New York Rangers there's actually a great YouTube clip of him fighting Steve Durbano in a bench brawl it's amazing and I've talked about Durbano on this podcast before but he, the words he used to describe his goal and how he felt about it when he was telling me, I'm, I'm going, okay, this is the end. This is the end of the book. This is the absolute end of the book. What he's saying is how I, I feel. I feel I would feel if I scored in the NHL. And he's cursing a lot, but he's saying the F word the way people from home say it, like mm-hmm. my neck of the woods say it, like as Mike Smith from Trailer Park Boys would say, Frank is a really good swearist. That's <laughs> me. Dachi Mason, the king of the, the prime minister of the blues in Canada, was a really good swearist. And Frank's basically saying, I effing scored in the national effing hockey league. And no one can effing take that. And I'm just like, yes. So that was the one as a hockey wannabe, as a road hockey superstar, as a guy who dreamed of what it would be like to pickle the twine in the NHL. That was the one that just was like, oh, it was like, it was poetry to me. So I ended the book with that one. When wow. you when you started writing the book, did it just begin with you go on Hockey DB and you sort by one goal, and then yeah. you just try and reach out to these guys? Look at Adam! I made Adam cry. He had to leave. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what I did, Jesse, was I had the idea and I went into as the guys know our crack stats guy at works, uh, Steve Fellin. Oh, went, he, he's uh, a, a a beautiful mind. It's he's he ridiculous, and he's yeah. the best. He's the best dude. So it's funny when people used to go on that. What was the score? The show the scorehead where people try to be sportscasters and they show up and oh, drafted, drafted. People would go on that and they I, mean, I know more about sports than anyone. Someone would say, "No, you don't." There's a guy you don't know more about sports than anyone here. They were referring to Felon. So I went in one day. I'm like, Felon, how many guys have scored a single goal in the NHL? He's like, give me a second. So he comes back, he emails me a list, and there's a list of about 350, 400 guys. And I'm like, how many guys have skated in the NHL? 6,500. How many guys have never scored? 1,500. So I'm like, well, these 400 guys did something pretty special. And, of course, the list fluctuates, right, because the rookie will score one, then he'll score two, and he's off the list. So, yeah, I print the list out because I'm old school, boys. I like my paper. I like my paper in my hand, not like you millennials. So uh, I, I ain't reading this book on Kindle, right? This isn't an ebook. So I I go down the list, and there's some names I know, right? Dave Hansen's on there, one of the Hansen brothers. 
Um, and Dangle, I know you love your slap shot. Uh, yeah, Dennis, yep. Dennis Bonvi's on there, the most penalized player in professional hockey history. You tried to drop the gloves with my brother when my brother was 14 and Dennis was 20 at a summer camp in Antigonish. He's on there. <laughs> my brother slashes Bonvi, right? It's a training camp. And Donji turns around and he's like, you want to go? And my brother's a full face mask. My brother just goes, no. And skates. <laughs> Dennis was like, okay. Dennis is a great guy, by the way. He's a good buddy of mine. Um, so Dennis is on there. Uh, Dave Hansen's on there. Billy Smith, the goalie's on there, right? Because he scored a goal. But then there's obviously tons of names I don't know. So I eliminate the deceased and I start going down. So, I, so I'm just coming across names, right? I don't know these names. So I come across the name Mike Forbes. I go, okay, Mike Forbes. Go on his hockey DB page. He scored his goal for the Edmonton Oilers in 1981. I'm like, well, geez, he's got a story. He played with Gretzky and Curry and Ka and all the Oilers. And uh, click on the game summary. His one goal is assisted by Gretzky and Curry. I'm like, oh, oh I got to talk to this. Come on. Come on. Talk. I got to talk to a guy's only goal in the NHL was just to buy Gretzky and Curry. So I call him up. He tells me his story. I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, I thought I was going to score another two that night. He goes, I'm on the first unit power play. I'm with Gretzky and Curry. It's me and Coffee on the point. I'm like, Jesus. I'm like, well, so but yeah, you when you do this book, you eventually have to get to the what happened question, right? Why wasn't there more than one? So his story was, I'm, I'm on the blue line. I'm paired up with Coff, and we're both offensive-minded defenseman he's like that isn't going to really work and coffee's way better than i am so they need somebody to stay back with cough so he goes i get sent down to wichita they call up charlie huddy huddy teams up with coffee forever the rest is history and he wow. he, never, he never plays in the nhl again um wow and, and then i'm like okay i need some guys from the original six right so I, uh, I, there's a guy named Les Kozak. So it turns out Les Kozak's still with us, luckily. And I go, okay, well, how am I going to find a guy named Les Kozak who's, who's 80 years old and scored for the Leafs in 1961-62? So I find out he played at St. Mike's. He played in Rochester. And then I just Google Les Kozak. And the only thing that keeps coming up is Dr. Les Kozak, scientist, Jackson Laboratory, Bar Harbor, Maine, uh, lectured universities all over the world, you know, advisor, staff, Louisiana State University, now semi-retired. And I'm like, okay. So I keep going, keeps coming back to this doctor. So I call the place like, oh yeah, that's Les. He used to play for the Leafs. I'm like, what? Wow. What? <laughs> so so I, I, I get him on the line. I get him on the line and he starts telling the story and I'm like, okay. There's no junior player out there right now who can relate to this story. So Cole's notes version. He's playing at St. Mike's. He's on a team with Dave Keon. He comes up to his last year of junior and he's like, you know what? I'm not going to play junior this year. I've decided to go into the priesthood. So he gives, he gives up his last year of junior hockey, goes to a monastery. Uh, April, May comes around. He's like, don't think I want to be a priest. Uh, the team he uh, didn't play for wins the Memorial cup. So he's like, I missed out on a Memorial cup because I was at a monastery. Uh, that summer he signs a pro deal with the Leafs. He, they're playing in Rochester one night, punch him like comes down to see him scores two goals on a Friday night. Punch is like, I need somebody in the lineup in Toronto tomorrow night. They go up to Toronto. He plays, I believe he scored in that game. I think he scored in his first game or one of his first few. He's so he's in, on the Leafs and he's playing regular. And, uh, so his 12th game, he tries to cut inside on a guy. And remember, this is when the boards were the boards, okay? There's no give back in the day. Uh, there's not plastic lining. Boards are boards. He gets hip-checked. 
and his head gets crushed between the boards and this guy's hip. Oh. He's not he's not wearing a bucket, collapses on the ice. They rush him to hospital. This is in Boston. They drill a golf ball sized hole in his skull to stop the bleeding. So still has a hole in his head. Uh, he stays in Boston. He eventually goes back to Rochester where his girlfriend is. So he's going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? He's like, I always wanted to go to school. Rod, enrolls in the Ro- Rochester Institute of Technology, does his undergrad there, gets a scholarship to study at Notre Dame, goes there, ends up being this scientist who lectures all over the world, who has a hole in his head, who once upon a time scored a goal for the Maple Leafs. So it's like, Wow. Yeah, that's the what? story. Story. Yeah, so that's oh, that's why Jesse, I love going down the old hockey DB page, and all it says is one goal, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. So, yeah, that's what I wow. that's what I like doing. I'm a nerd, man. I'm a hockey geek, so I like un- unearthing those stories. That's uh, and what's funny is back when you were talking about Bonvi, I'm like, I'm gonna bring up his hockey DB and blow everyone's mind, and yeah, then you started okay. telling a story about a hole in the head, and all yeah. of a sudden, I don't want to tell it anymore. So Bondi, when I was a kid, was the local tough guy for the Anaganish Junior A Bulldogs. And he he was 17, playing in the old Maritime Junior A Hockey League. And the Maritime Junior A Hockey League, boys, uh, it was made up of a lot of 19- and 20-year-olds from outside of the Maritimes who were cut from the dub or the O or the Q. And every team had about four or five heavies. It was a freaking gong show. It was awesome. I loved it. So I ended up being a play-by-play guy in that league in 96, my buddies all play, my my buddies played in it from ninety two to ninety five. Bonby's in it from in around ninety ninety one, and Bonby's seventeen years old, and he's fighting guys that the the Halifax Olin exports. Okay, let's say they they took in a twenty year old who fought for the Olin three years, but he loses his overage spot. Bonby's fighting them at seventeen and beating the tar on. So he gets drafted by North Bay in the Ontario League. And he says, I, I go to North Bay. He goes, I had trouble turning both ways. And then he's basically like, well, I couldn't turn both ways. And actually, he didn't get drafted by North Bay first. He got drafted by, I think it was Kitchener. Was Kitchener. Traded North, yeah, Kitchener was traded to North Unreal. Oh was traded to North Bay. And he told his coach, who, the legendary Burt Templeton, who loved his tough guys, he's like, I'm going to be the toughest guy in this league. Dennis went out and did it. Wow. And Dennis's words, he did well. Most tough guys won't tell you they beat the tar out of him. That's up to writers like us, guys like us to, to expand on it. But uh, fought his way into the O, fought his way into the pros, was signed by the Cape Breton Oilers. I remember Dennis Bondy playing in a four-on-four tournament in Picto after his first year with the Cape Breton Oilers. Uh, we had the ice in Picto for uh, Barry Wisner's hockey school. And guys are in the rank yelling at him. They're all the guys would go down and drink at the one end of the rink, and they're all screaming at Bobby, screaming, ah, you, Bobby, I think you're good. Right? Like, like, <laughs> you're a picto style. And, and then at the end of the end of the game, they went down, they shook Dennis's hand, like, you're not bad, Bobby. So, <laughs> so Dennis made his way all the way to the NHL, started with the Oilers. He, you know, he fought Probert. You know, that story's in the book. And he scored his one goal against Chris Osgood. So Dennis is a guy, if you talk, He's won three cups as a scout, Chicago and Boston. Dennis is a guy, if you, you talk to the fellows, have all been around the game for a while. They all have a Dennis Bonvie story. So. Wow. So, yeah. Very cool. And to support uh, his dream of becoming the toughest guy in the OHL, uh, starts with the Kitchener Rangers in seven games. He has 23 penalty minutes. Goes to North Bay in 49 games. He has 261. 
that doesn't the, count. Then that doesn't count your ten minute misconducts. No, my oh my god, really? Yeah, the O and the O and the dub don't count tens. The Q counted tens. Well, that's staggering because the next year in sixty four games he had three hundred and sixteen, but that has nothing on his career high in the American League with the Hamilton Bulldogs ninety six ninety seven in seventy three games five hundred and twenty two. Nice. Penalty wow. Minutes. So wow. Dennis is the most penalized player in pro hockey history. And he jokes, he's like, it's it's safer than the Gretzky records. And it is because we see the way the game's played now. Mm-hmm. Nobody's nobody's gonna rival that, you know. No. I mean no. the game the, the game has changed, you know. No kidding. And no not kidding. for the and not for the better, I might add. <laughs> so he, he passed two hundred penalty minutes as a professional. 14 times well 12 times and then two in junior and think how many he would have got if he wasn't suspended for a bunch of games probably too right oh yeah no he cracks he cracked 60 games five times (laughs) that's it his whole career wow so bondy's famous line to bob probert the first time he lined up against him they line up on the wing and and dennis just looks at him he's like bobby make me or break me and then the gloves came off Wow. <laughs> That's a pretty bold thing to say to Bob Probert. I mean. Yeah, and uh, Dennis was 5'11". He wasn't a giant guy. He was oh. he, Dennis is stocky, man. He's he's mm. a he's an absolute powerhouse. But yeah, to go up to Bob Probert and say, make me or break me. But you got to realize, for, for guys like Dennis fighting Bob Probert, that was like for a guy like Mike Medano taking a face off against Wayne Gretzky. It's the guy you grew up worshipping, admiring, right? Uh, so everyone has their their so for so for a guy like Mike Medano, say you'd want to test your skills against Wayne Gretzky. Well, Dennis wanted to test his skills against Bob Probert, and Probert, when he was the champ, man, he would always give guys a, a, the the green light to go with him. A lot of older guys will kind of say earn your stripes, but Probert was that's why he fought so much because if a guy wanted to test himself against Probert, Probert would be willing to do it because guys did it for him. Wow, yeah, that's. Pretty amazing. Crazy how it used to work too, right? Because it's just, you don't see that anymore. It's beautiful how it used to work. (laughs) Um, Ken, you obviously night after night, when you came back um, from, I don't, I mean, it's, I guess isolation, but when you came back to work, when, when hockey came back and baseball came back, basketball came back, um, you got to see highlights of every game. You get to see probably every game in one way or another. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on on that th- in terms of like the bubble hockey league and, and the way they finished the season? I think it was absolutely incredible that they pulled it off. Um, I didn't think they could do it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I was thrilled that the NHL got through it. Uh, I, you know, we can get into the style of hockey and all that if you want, but I just think that the fact that they pulled it off was absolutely amazing. I think the team that won deserved to win. I think the best team won, which I think is always good. Um, I would love it if river hockey was successful in the playoffs. We could talk about your Leafs if you want to, but <laughs> river hockey, unfortunately is not successful in the playoffs. If river hockey was the game would be a lot more entertaining, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I was just super impressed that the NHL pulled it off. Like everybody. I love the first round, you know, that's my favorite. And when I say first round, I don't mean the play in, I mean the actual first round, mm-hmm. but uh, I just love how things get turned up in the playoffs. And uh, I was, I think it looked great too. I was, I, I was like, you, I was like everybody going, what's it look going to look like with no fans in the stands? Well, the NHL did a brilliant thing. They kind of eliminated the empty seats as opposed to baseball who just said, oh, the hell with it. So, and it's easier for the NHL. They only have to do a couple of arenas, but it looked great. Uh, I 
you know, kudos to the NHL. And I, I hope that the players and the, the league get back on the same page here now uh, and uh, can pull it off again. It seems like they will. Like it's, you know, I, I, I know everybody, everybody's upset with each other, but I, I can't imagine a world where both sides want to lose that much money. I just well, can't. Garrett, Gary Bettman doesn't lose, right? If the last 30 years have shown us everything, when it comes time to negotiations, Gary Bettman doesn't lose. No. Um, and I mean, I, I see the player's argument. The owners made an agreement four months ago that they want to change. And I see the owner's argument. Maybe they thought fans would be back in the stands by now. So like all great things, you got to meet in the middle somewhere, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm in the basement because my wife sent me here, right? I wanted <laughs> to do this up in the nice natural life. It, She's conducting a conference now with, with where she works at Rogers and <laughs> she's leading the conference. So she needs her loud, beady eyed, slightly overweight, pale husband in the basement where he belongs. So <laughs> my, my wife is the Gary Batman of this house. She gets what she wants. And I realize that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. But you're just in it for the love of the game, and, and that's, that's why right. you always buckle. Just... That's right. That's right, Dangle. I always give into my heart. I always give into my heart. Yeah, um, very true. If you uh, let's talk about the style of play, and I actually, well, you know, actually, before we talk about the style of play, I do want to mention that um, uh, one Ken Reed on this very show several years ago said uh, the Leafs are going to have trouble in the playoffs because the game changes in the playoffs and said they're going to need a little bit more grit and toughness. And don't they go out a couple months ago, or I guess six weeks ago now, and address it in just that way? Zach Bogosian, Wayne Simmons, you can imagine. I don't don't see Joe Thornton as a tough guy, but he's a grizzled vet who's Mm -hmm. got the mental toughness that probably the team needs to learn. Um, Are you you going to celebrate uh, here, or do you want to celebrate on Twitter later? Like, how do you want to say I was right? You mean gloat? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm sure all your little analytical fans thought I was a dinosaur. And I do read the comments. I saw that I was a hockey dinosaur. The old dinosaur was right, analytics geeks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to gloat, although I just did. No, I, th- I, think, uh, I think you need both. I, think you- I love skilled hockey. I mean, you look around this room, I got pictures of LaFleur, Gretzky, Bossy, you know. But I also got pictures of guys who are tough. So I like it. Um, I, I subscribe to the Brian Burke school of top six, bottom six. Um, I'm not an analytics guy. I don't think I ever will be. I know I'm out of date. That's fine. I'm happy with it. Um, I think, yeah, you almost need a team to get into the playoffs and then you need a team to win in the playoffs. You need two, you need, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Now you need two different versions and be like, I mean, back in the day, 21 teams, 16 made the playoffs. You could play the same style the whole year. Now you, you got to adjust. I think the Leafs are addressing it. I don't think they're anywhere near close right now. Sorry, Dangle. Um, but I think I, I, I give Kyle Dubas a lot of credit for going out and signing the Simmons because it's tough to change. And I know that. I've been the same for 46 years or however old I am. Uh, I like the game old school. And Kyle Dubas – likes the game new school but he's changing and i totally admire that and i'm i'm not dumb enough to think you can win with a team of fourth liners you can't you need skill but you need guys to make room for that skill and i think that's what a wayne simmons will do you guys know i've talked about josh anderson on this podcast before i've had a man crush on him since he was with the london knights i love the way he played i love that the montreal canadians went home and got him and and part of me says okay wayne simmons isn't enough you can't 
win with just one guy like that. But then part of me has to realize, okay, the game has changed. Maybe one or two guys like that is enough as opposed to six. Um, I think they, the Leafs need to be way tougher on the back end, way tougher. Uh, Jake Muzzin's good. He's, he's the one guy that plays with a little edge. It can't be just one guy on your back end. To me, you need at least three guys like that. Uh, but they're, you can't change your roster overnight. So I think they're moving in the right direction. That should make you smile, Dangle. <laughs> it does. I what what I wonder is okay. How about this? Can you think of a player who was not a tough guy? Was not mm-hmm. a tough guy at all when he began, and he didn't necessarily become one, but he became a player who didn't take any shit. Because what <sighs> I what I keep saying with this team is you don't need to go out there and rack up two hundred and fifty penalty minutes. You just need to. Honestly, honest to goodness, once or twice a season, punch someone in the face. Yeah. Well, yeah because they you, got in yours. That's how you make room, right? You got to do something stupid once in a while. And, and I think a lot of hockey fans don't realize that. Why did he do that? That was unprovoked. He did it to make room. It's uh, the regular season's a marathon. The playoffs are a marathon. You got to make room. Um, can I think of a guy that became like that? Not off the top of my head, but it usually works the other way around, right? A lot of guys come into the league used to back in the day and they just beat the living pulp out of guys for a year and then the, they'd get their room they'd get the respect like when lyle odeline started with the montreal canadians he fought every night then later in his career he didn't have to fight a lot because guys left him alone so usually the way it works is you come in as a bit of an agitator a bit of a pr as dennis maruk would say and you get your room so you don't have to do it all the time um and i think if you kind of establish that off the top you'll get your room so I can't think of any guys who kind of came in as wimps and evolved into uh, guys who didn't take any uh, SHIT. But I think of a lot of guys who came in real tough and then it, it seemed on the surface that they calmed down, but I think they only calmed down because they got their room. And uh, I mean, I mean, you go back in time, like Doug Gilmore didn't take any crap off anybody. He was 165 pounds. Good God. Wendell, Wendell Clark wasn't a giant. He, they took less crap than anyone in the history of the game. So, uh, and every once in a while, you got to explode. You got to freak out to get that room. Now, I don't know if you have to, but you got to let guys know that I'm not going to take that crap because it, it really is all about room. And if you get this, that little extra bit, then you can make things happen on the score sheet, I think. When you said, ex- when, when, sorry, what? Is Ovechkin oh. not a guy like that? Yeah, Ovechkin, man. Hey, he makes a ton of room for himself. He's huge. He hits like he hits like he's beyond tough. He hits like a monster. Sidney Crosby's tough in the corners. He's tough. There's a lot of guys that are that are tough, that are skilled and tough, that make room for themselves. Um, yeah, like I mean, you don't have to be a guy that racks up a ton of penalty minutes. But I mean, do you want to go into a corner against Alexander Ovechkin? I don't nope. think so. Because every once in a while he just explodes and annihilates a guy. Uh, look what he did to Sveshnikov a few years ago. Beat the living tar out of him. He's a ni- that's a 19-year-old kid that's going, oh, I could fight Ovechkin. I've never seen him fight before. He's not that tough. He's that, tough. Is a, that is a miscalculation. That is a, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, I forgot that, about that. That's, oh, yeah. like, that's like me at the Pick the Lobster Carnival, getting a few uh, Alexander Keys in me going, you know what? I can roll with the boys. No, no, you're rolled. No, you're rolled. <laughs> So, yeah, if you, if, you, if you go back in the day, um, there was a lot of really tough players back in the day. And they, you'd look at their pims and you'd say, you didn't fight that much. And they'd tell you, they, I didn't have to. After a while, I didn't have to. So, 
Ryan Reeves has to fight like twice a season. See, there you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> see, when that exactly, he has to fight twice a season. No one's going to challenge him anymore, right? There's not a tough guy in every team to challenge him. Ryan Reeves makes more room for his teammates just by sitting on the bench. Like, if I read one more comment from some analytic dork who says Ryan Reeves is the worst <laughs> player in the NHL, I'm like, you don't get it. Ryan Reeves makes his team bigger. And when I say bigger, he gives them more room on the ice. Ryan Reeves is a huge asset that any team in the NHL would want. Any team. And just because a spreadsheet says he's not the greatest player in the world, that doesn't mean he's not a useful player. I would take Ryan Reeves on my team any day. And Ryan Reeves, he's a good hockey player, man. He's decent. He's not going to hurt you when he's out there. He's no. not going to score 50 goals. But, man, he's a good hockey player. We thought, Pitt, we thought Pittsburgh were nuts. Didn't they pay a first-round pick for him, and then they dealt him like 40 games later? When they but, got when they got him, I said, finally, Pittsburgh's done the right thing. Because Crosby's never had a designated protector in his whole career. They tried George LaRock. That didn't – it just didn't click. But – when they got Reeves, I said, finally, Pittsburgh's doing it. And when they traded him, I go, that's the dumbest trade they've made in eons. And it was. I mean, there's just because you don't show up on the score sheet doesn't mean you're not useful. I, I, but I say that because that's how I justify my midget C career. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was on the P, I was on the PK, you know, I saw it. Yeah, like that's right. Yeah. With, yeah. With, with Reeves in Pittsburgh, I mean, we, we questioned the trade at the time, but if they paid a high cost if you're gonna if you're gonna make a decision stick to it absolutely yeah stick that's to it a, right and that's the other thing right with uh with with modern sports fans there's no patience right uh um i people go oh they gotta at least gotta get rid of dubas I'm like no they don't this is his vision man he's got to see it through and just because i'm not philosophically aligned with it doesn't mean he's not correct i could be the one who's wrong and that's another thing about society today no one will admit they could be wrong right so I think uh, I love the way that Dubas sees the game, man. I, man, I grew up in an era where the Oilers would beat the Leafs 12-11 on a Saturday night. It was freaking awesome. And there was four scraps. So there's nothing wrong with river hockey. You just gotta, you gotta get that other team to engage. And I think that's one thing the NHL should look at is uh, to, to make the rules or at least enforce the rules so that both teams engage in offensive hockey instead of both teams engaging in defensive hockey, because to be frank, some of that late round playoff hockey was tough to watch. Oh yeah. This year. The conference oh, final yeah. was bad. The Islanders was straight up boring. Oh, yeah. It was boring. Yeah. When my, when my friends who are lifelong fans contact me and they say they haven't been watching, that's not because they're bad hockey fans. It's because they don't like watching bad hockey. And it was tough to watch. Them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Barry Trotz teams are notoriously tough to watch. Uh, yeah. So, so the NFL and the NBA have adjusted their rules so that offense is rewarded. The NHL has to figure out a way to do the same thing because my kid, my son and I were at the, uh, the Christmas game, December 22nd, the Leafs eight Carolina six. Yes. Friggin' blast. So and now I know there's guys out there who go, oh, you don't understand the game. That's not good hockey because this guy was defensive irresponsible. That's what I want. <laughs> Every goal happens because somebody makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. let's make mistakes happen. So, ah, boys, I got a ton of theories on how you can make mistakes happen and how you can open the game up. But, you know. I what do you got? Can we hear it? Oh, you want to hear yeah, it? Yes. 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 Podcast. Come on. Okay, okay. <laughs> hear me out. One rule only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a one. one. Here's your one. One coach only. Only one coach behind the bench. Okay. And, and he doesn't have an earbud in his. Here. He can meet with the guys in the sky between periods, but 
so we, I want to take technology out of the game, right? I want to go back to in, instincts. So no laptops or monitors on the bench either. And I know I was like, well, that's the modern game. Frig off. So <laughs> I don't no, hate that. So no earbuds on the bench. Okay. So with one coach, guess what's going to happen? He's going to be down talking to these guys uh, on the forward side where the defense have to change on the fly. And so chaos is going to erupt. Chaos equals goals because chaos is a fancy word for people making mistakes, right? Chaos doesn't associate with everyone doing the right thing. Players will have to police, uh, will have to manage themselves. Uh, like old Reggie Dunlop, boys, player coach. Reggie couldn't talk to the second line while Reggie was out there, right? So I want, I think that would create more mistakes, more mistakes equal more offense. Get rid of the trapezoid. Get that out of there. Uh, and if a goalie goes out to play the puck, you can absolutely hammer him like back in the day. That'll keep the goalie in the net, which will make more loose pucks. Uh, put the red line back in. There's too much of this pass from your own blue line. Buddy chips it right before the other blue line. It's a glorified 200-foot dump in. I love getting pucks in deep, but not at the expense of offense. So those are just like I could go on all day. Also, like enforce the rules. I know that's tougher, but, but th- here's the other thing. I was always big on call the game by the rules. And then they started doing that in 2004. But the, yeah, and there was like 18 penalties a game. Yeah. But it was an overcorrection. Not only that, the game is, and I hate saying this, it's too fast, right? You need to be able to pick a guy a little and you can go back. You can adjust to the way it was. And then if it gets too bad, you can go back to the way it was. But if you guys watch the game from back in the day, everybody laughs because it was so slow. The players were just as fast. They just didn't have as many open lanes, right? Now, granted, most guys can skate a lot better than they did back then. Like, the, 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 the water bug in 1990, everyone's that water bug now, right? Everyone's that fast now. Theo Fleury, basically. Yeah, yeah. The speed of the game is insanity. So if people ask Sidney Crosby, what do you work on most? He's like, speed, because that's what's changed most since he's come into the game. So put the red line back in. One coach on the bench. I want to go back to one ref. I want I want communism, boys. I want a dictator on the ice. Okay. <laughs> I want a, I want a guy missing calls. I want chaos. So, but my big my big thing, and my I big like thing, yeah. my big thing is one coach on the bench with no outside communication to the bench. I think that'll that'll encourage uh, a lot of mistakes. And you can still have all your guys on the staff. You just keep them up in the press box. Because, I mean, you watch a game now, guys are breaking out their laptops on the, on the bench. And all that is, is an immediate way to correct mistakes. And uh, more mistakes equal more goals. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to scream and yell, like, well, it's modern technology. You got to use everything you can. And I agree. But if the league eliminates it, it's illegal. So there's, there's a lot of ways, to I think, to change the game. And we got to start some outside-of-the-box thinking because – I don't want to watch two teams put the other one to sleep. And the first one is alarm suddenly goes off, wins the game. That's you get bottom line. This is entertainment and mm-hmm. more people will spend their hard earned cash if they're entertained. So, right. There you right. Go. What do you got? What do you guys think they should do? Oh, you know, you know man, I oh, like- oh, oh, and goalie equipment for God's sake. Oh yeah. Oh, it's yeah. ridiculous. Oh, this man. idea that it's about protection, like, come on. Uh, you can protect a body and not have it be this wide. Yeah, and like if you, you know can... what? If you don't want to get bruised, don't be a goalie. Yeah. Jeez, how about that? <laughs> well, the, I mean, if they protect Marines and they're supposed to be as thin as possible, right? They're supposed right. to be able to fit. They can, they can protect a goalie and not make him like a tree. And I think... My, my kid's a goalie. I took one. His second shot was on the ice with him the other day. I hit him right in the can. He didn't even flinch. 
And he's huge when he goes in nets. I'm like, man, you're a little wee man. <laughs> also, I mean, you could go back to like, like, uh, what do they used to the feathers in the pads? The pads oh, get yeah. heavier by the uh, end of the game. Uh, yeah, I'm not oh, sure, yeah. but that's what's amazing, right? The pads are light. Uh, the, the gear is so light and it's so big. It doesn't have to be that big. And that's and you know what's funny is like that's the players' association rallying against that as a like it's a work safety issue or some weird terms they might use i don't know that's not an exact quote but man there's there's 23 guys in every roster 21 of them aren't goalies let's go let's rally against the goalies man as i wear my against big, the goalies <laughs> as i wear my goalie hat right i love that that's <laughs> I, th- I think if you were to if you were to, to like change the game to make it more fun like the 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 defensive team's Unfortunately, like if you look at the late '90s Devils, who were the worst, oh. just the worst team to ever watch, ever, you know, and they would stifle their te- stifle their way to a Stanley Cup. It was a great way for a team that couldn't spend a lot of money to manage their lack of talent and win a cup. Yeah. And, and and that's sort of what I saw. Skill. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you see, sort of see that with um, nothing against the Islanders, but you couldn't say that the Islanders' top end skill is up there with elite in the game and i think any islanders fan would tell you that they have some elite skill but it's not like anders lee is like whoa holy man he's the next Sidney crosby um barzell's great uh but it's just him in that in that league i would think and i think with barry trotz when he was in washington we forgot what it was like to watch when he was in nashville and so he's he's gone back to what it's like to watch barry trotz coach in nashville and there wasn't a lot of top end talent on those nashville teams uh, like David Legwand at your number one center. Um, and so I think, I think you've got, you got to find some way to break the tendency for teams to manage their lack of skill with just playing defensively and, 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 you know, basically holding down the fort until the, the game runs out. Uh, yeah. Because as you said, Ken, on a, just from a purely economic standpoint, it's not good. It's not good for the game. No. It's not, and, but and, so how do you do that? Because the coaches are paid to coach and the easiest thing to coach is defense. And if I was Barry Trotz and I've said this, I would do the same damn thing. You have 100%. to work with what you have. I don't, I don't blame Barry Trotz at all, but what you do is you gotta, you gotta take some of that power out of the coach's hands. And I think that comes from taking some of them out from behind the bench. The game is so overcoached. It's so mm-hmm. everything's a system. I used to play hockey. Now you almost system hockey, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to take that power away and the league has to figure out how to do it. Um, like people say, make the ice bigger. Don't do that. Go watch, watch an international game. I, there's a reason I hate soccer because it's boring. I don't want hockey to become soccer. And, like try to work your way to the net when the rink's that wide. That's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and people seem to think that that's going to up scoring. And if you look at the case, no. point of game players are pretty rare. Yeah, there's yeah, there's that's not going to up your scoring. You you could make it a little bigger, maybe a foot or two on each side, but no, you can you can take the posts and maybe angle them in as opposed to making them round. You can do things like that. Like, but I, I'm big on smaller goalie equipment and start eliminating the coaches. Like, not not their jobs. They can keep. They can still have five coaches on your staff. Just put four of them upstairs during the game. And, and what do you, you know, think of serving the entire power play? See, there's where you're going to get into trouble. I, I think that's probably a good idea, but then guess what's going to happen? Then refs will be even more reluctant to blow the whistle. Right. Right. Refs are reluctant to blow the whistle now. I think they'd be even more reluctant to blow the whistle then. So that's mm. like a that's like a Pandora's box one. But I, it like logically, yeah, it should totally make sense. Serve the whole power play, shouldn't it? 
mm-hmm. from a logical standpoint, but I can see um, people being more reluctant to, to call a penalty at that point. Interesting. Uh, whatever they pick, whatever they pick, I go back to the, the Ryan Reeves trade thing, make your decision and stick to it. I keep saying, because like the, the goalie equipment, um, this rule change, that rule change, offside reviews, and now we're going to alter it. So if your feetsies are on the ice, but now if they're, oh, if your feetsies oh, are off stop. the ice, oh. when there should be a rule where when you change a rule, there's a, there's, you are not allowed to alter it for 10 years. And if you don't yeah. like it, you sit in your mess. There's sit in too, it. Too many lawyers in the world, right? Like who saw offside becoming what it's become? Like it's oh. just. Well, and I, tell I, me how, tell me how it's fair that a team that has sustained uh, offensive zone pressure for 45 seconds, but may have meant maybe, maybe entered illegally by an inch is yeah. penalized for scoring a great goal. Like it's that not. you're killing the game. Yeah, and, and- thank you. And I, I look boys, uh, people laugh at me for this before and they go, you can't go back. And I've said, get instant replay out of the game. One league should be the first to step up and go enough, enough. We're, we're take like, the game is played by humans, right? When hockey was invented, when baseball was invented, when football was invented, they didn't invent the game going, oh, in the future, will we have a machine where we can review all this stuff? Mm-hmm. It was just pure. It was, so let's bring it back to that. And mistakes are going to happen, man. There's going to be, like, there's people who still think Bob Nystrom's cup winner in 1980 was offside. And that's great. Gives us something to talk about. The foot in the crease goal, Brett Hall. Yeah. That, that goal lives on forever. Mistakes happen. We have to learn to live with mistakes. It seems like we've learned to live with mistakes in a lot of aspects of society, except for professional sports. And I get that. Yes, you have to get it right. And we should use all means necessary to get it right. But should we really, should we really review that offside down to that little millimeter of a skate blade and 45 seconds later, take a goal away? Is that really the right thing to do? But once you put it in print, the legalese says you have to. Well, if humans are playing, humans should be refing, and human Thank things you. are going to happen. Yeah. And uh, and I, I I look at the look at baseball. They've done more with instant analysis in baseball than they did oh. with the entire Houston Astros cheating. Oh, like it, yeah. it's crazy. Like they they've they've tried to get that right. They didn't even bother with the Astros and the and the and you know something as stupid as right. banging on a trash can. You well, know, I think, yeah, I think the best quote to come out of baseball in the last little while was Theo Epstein, who stepped down from the Cubs. And, you know, he got the World Series title in Boston. He got it in Chicago. He's an analytics guy. And he said, you know what? I used it to win the games. I'm paraphrasing, but he goes, the analytics, it's, it's at the cost of producing an entertaining product. Baseball now, man. It's oh. painful to watch. And it's yeah. because every decision is made not on feel. And it shouldn't always be on feel, obviously. But every decision is made by a pie chart or a graph like what happened in game six with Blake Snell coming out is freaking ridiculous. Crazy. And, is, and is that going to be the turning point? And if you watch baseball now, guys, it's not entertaining. Like it used to be Tim Raines would get on first base and on the broadcast, they'd show Raines on first and they'd show the pitcher. They'd split the screen and Raines would be leading off. And you go, is he going to run? And a ball would go into play and he'd take off and it was exciting. Or they'd try to pick him off and it was exciting. And now no one's going to steal a base. No, no. one's either going to hit a home run or hit a strikeout. They've sucked the entertainment value out of the game, and it's tough to watch. And hockey, man, it's that far away from going down that same slope because these analytics folks, they're just taking all the feel out of the game. It's so overcoached. And it's overcoached because 
everything is done on, well, this, well, what happens in this battle, in this corner, in this matchup? And it's driving me nuts as an old school fan with his Gordie Howe pin on the side of his hat. I just, you're just taking away the pureness of it. And yeah, I, I, the argument on the other side is we've got to evolve. And I get that. I do. But I just want the game to be entertaining. And if, if you watch a baseball game and any old baseball tape, you're like, what is this? Why, why is they bunting? Why are they throwing over to first? Why is this guy running? And in hockey, man, people aren't taking risks anymore. And risks, it's risk reward, right? You're either going to score or get scored on. And I want the, I want the game to be a gamble. Evolution doesn't mean it has to go one particular way, too. Evolution can be balanced. Yeah, yeah right? why, why, well, it's like, uh, well, when you talk about fashion, right? I didn't think in 2020 I'd be walking around in skin-tight jeans that the lead singer of Winger wrote in 1987. <laughs> but here I am. Sometimes things from back in the day are good. Back. Yeah. 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 Well, I wonder if, you know, um, if the NHL looks at – uh looks at the product because when i watch games now i feel like i'm slowly very slowly being suffocated like it's just it's a very um i and i've I've noticed it in the last year year and a half and it might just be because i watch a lot of leaf games and they've been uh, for long stretches frankly under babs (laughs) painful yeah but it's almost like you know when you you know when you're in high school and like your friends kind of body check you against the locker and you sort of have that moment where you're like (laughs) And, no, uh, no, but I know what it's like when they pile on you and they, they beat the living crap out of you with punches. So is that you, <laughs> about the same, but it okay. feels like we went to school game. a few years apart. Yeah, <laughs> there's but there's a, a, a tenseness that's there that it's like when I, I there's um you, it doesn't breathe. Do you know what Correct. I'm saying? And I yes, don't know how else absolutely. to put it because the players aren't allowed to breathe. They have to do what they're told with the exception of maybe the first line on every team or a couple guys on every team. The rest of them have to do their exact job. And now all that exact job results in is one team doing exactly what they're told. The other team doing exactly what they're told. They're playing whack-a-mole with the puck between the hash marks. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. And the game's been overcoached and now overanalyzed. Kapel Kelly had a great article in the globe uh, about a month ago, and it was about uh, declining ratings in sports. And his argument was uh, people don't want to watch because it, you used to be able to just watch a game for fun, right? You sit down and watch a game for fun. Now you have to be an expert, right? Everyone's an yeah. expert on everything. And, oh, that, they're not playing the left wing lock properly. The average fan doesn't give a crap. The average fan doesn't give a crap about escrow, the left wing lock, or the salary cap. They just want to be entertained. And as broadcasters, too, we have to realize that. Like, people always – like, I'm – I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a stories guy. Right. So I go on the air. I'll do an on camera about Mr. Yankoff and about slap shot and about Degrassi junior high. And I'm like, what's that have to do with sports? They might ask. I'm like nothing, but it's fun. So I just make it fun, man. And I know it's not a coach's job to make the game fun. I get that, but it's the league's job to make the game fun and entertaining. And that's where the league has to step. Well, maybe it ought to be though. Don't they all get paid by the same for that product? Barry like, you Fox know, got the job for how many years straight in Nashville because he kept a bad roster competitive, right? You're right. So, coaches you know, get paid to win. You know, you know what I, I've noticed back when I was allowed to talk to people in person <laughs> is is um, you should never be in a position where fans have to bashfully tell you who their favorite player is. Yeah, yeah. like when when you were talking about you know, you got to be an expert or whatever. 
some fans just like players for no reason, really, yeah. or you know, their own very peculiar James reasons. And you know what? I should not have to explain why I love James Reimer. <laughs> I should. just do. Yeah, you I just, just do. do. Mike McPhee. I love Mike McPhee. Mm-hmm. There you go. But you should never have to be like, oh, I don't know, kind of like a Mike McPhee jersey. Or yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Kind of like, oh, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged guy and I collect hockey cards. Kind of like that. <laughs> you should never have to mumble what you love. Yeah. You should be able to say it with your chest, Kenny. Yes. I love it. Well, like we do. Things... Sorry, what? Like we do. We're guys mm-hmm. like that, I think. Look Absolutely. At your, look, at, look at your background. Look at my background. You know, unashamed. Absolutely. Kenny, speaking of things that you love. Yeah, actually, uh, I want to stay on this subject a little bit longer if it's OK. Oh, I got, no, I got go all day because I, I do want to I do want to I do want to stay on this. Steve, I hold that question for no, a second. It's OK, hold that. Okay. He's upset. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK. He'll just I wanted to talk his... about things we love, but no. Yeah, OK, no, get into it. Get into it because I do. No, 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 no. He'll just go play with the James Reimer action figure. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> so, Ken, I think I think the thing is, you know, um, how do you, as a, like, you know, because you're 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 talking of you're dissing the product that you're talking about, right? So you're 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 tough on that when you're when you're when you're looking at like there was something that Dave Cadeau told me once when I worked for the fan for like a month, right? Dave's a pretty smart guy. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Appreciate it. And what, he, what Dave said was, we've got, we've got the tendency in Toronto, at least, about talking about the business of sports rather than the games themselves. Yeah. And so the reason for that is the teams were so bad for so long. The Jays were awful. The Raptors yeah. were awful. The Leafs were awful. And it was for 15 years. Yeah. So at a certain point, you had to talk about either trades or salary cap considerations or buyouts or something. Yeah. You know, because they were so bad for so long. And it seems like we've, even as broadcasters, and we're guilty of this too, gotten away from telling the stories. You know, yeah. when you look at an NFL broadcast, all you hear about is players on the field. I don't know how the NFL salary cap works. I don't have a fucking clue. But what's great about it is that I'm like, this guy is matching up with this guy and they're going to go head to head. It's Brady yeah. versus Breeze. And it's like yeah. fireworks are going off and it's exciting. Whereas I watch hockey now and it's like, well, you know, we're during the first intermission, we're going to talk about um, escrow. It's going to be very yeah. exciting. Pumped. Well, I think we've done at Sports had a good effort to put escrow off the table. But the problem Thank is, God. Well, look God damn right, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, I, Bell guy. <laughs> <laughs> so. But unfortunately, in the NHL, it keeps coming up, right? Yeah. Like, look what's happening right now. This isn't a media-driven story. No, it's not. This is this is what's happening. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. So I I put that on the owners and the players, not on the media. I agree. Uh, I'm not trying to put it on the media. No, I. But I totally buy into that argument Kado made to you about Toronto. I mean, uh, you guys and your crap teams, and what else can you talk about? I mean, my God, but. Yeah, it should be about the product on the ice. It should be about the players. We tell fantastic stories, but when, uh, the reason I want the game to be better is I love it. The reason I don't talk about how soccer should improve is I don't care about soccer. I could care less. Mm-hmm. But I want ho- like hockey is the best game. It's the best stories. Uh, like, it's so exciting. And even when the game's bad for me, it's, it's like pizza, right? It's still good. You got to grind through it. But when a, when a great game happens and you go, how come every game can't be like that? And every game's not a winner, right? Not, not, mm-hmm. some, 
not everything's perfect all the time, but I think if the league, the league, when I look at what the NFL does and what the NBA does to increase entertainment, that's what the NHL has to do. They got to find a way to just go, look, we like, I'm sorry, but you just, and I, I know that Kay Whitmore's done so much work to cut down on goal equipment and, and the resistance he puts up with trying to do it is it's crazy. I mean, a goalie, I always say, what's that behind the goalie on that old 1985 Opeachy hockey pad? Oh, it's the net. You can see mm-hmm. it back then. You had a target to shoot at. There's nothing for guys to shoot at. Uh, the league's got to figure out a way to in- increase offense or at least entertainment. And I'm sorry, I'm going to tick a lot of people off out here. But when two guys would step up and say, let's have a go, that was entertaining, man. I absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, when two teams hate each other, that's when everybody gets on board. Mm-hmm. And then after the game, everyone goes, oh, that was awful. Well, then why were you so excited? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> right. Come on. Jeez. Steve, sorry, you go ahead now. I just wanted to get that in there. <laughs> and speaking of things you love, yes. <laughs> are you uh, are you done recording your audio book yet, or what? <laughs> I recorded one audio, one of my books on audio book. And Dangle, uh, you contacted me once. What about this job on audio book? I said never do it. It took me five days. Like I don't know if it's my maritime accent, if I have sloppy diction, if I don't enunciate properly, but Recording an audiobook was painful for me. Uh, there's certain things in life that people are good at. I'm not a good audiobook recorder. So for my latest book, one to remember, stories from 39 members of the NHL's One Gold Club, we had a professional do the audiobook version. Hey. So you, you won't hear my awful voice on it. Dangle, did you like the audiobook uh, process? I I did. I yeah. did. And it was it was a grind. I can't remember. This, this is how long it took. I can't remember if it was six, four hour sessions or four, six hour sessions. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It was very, it took a long time and, and yeah, like we do this for a living. We talk about, you know, we talk for a living and I think I'm good at it. And I get in the booth and after half an hour, I'm like, I can't read. No, I don't know how to read. And the other thing, like, so when you read as an adult, you kind of read at your pace, right? And you want to read fast and we get through it. You know, you have to slow down and say every word, you know, it's just, it's, I wasn't good at it, you know, like, but I wouldn't be a good doctor either. Right. There's people that do that for a living. And I realized this isn't something I should do again because I'm not good at it. Right. So you wouldn't want to square up and fight your patients. (laughs) uh no no you know what's so funny for a guy who loves hockey fights as much as i do i'm a horrible fighter and i hate fighting like like in a in a public like i think everyone should be able to work their arguments out but in hockey i just love the scrap i absolutely love it yeah and it's not so here's the other thing too it's not so much i love seeing guys fight like i love going to a game and there's a couple tilts love it but i i need to go to a game and know that I might not see a fight, but I could possibly see a fight. Like I need to know that the guys are playing with edge, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean they're going to beat the tar out of each other, but I need to know if you do that wrong and you do that wrong, we're going to meet and we're going to figure this out. And I just find there's no edge to a lot of the games now. I, you know, it's funny when I go to a game and there's a fight, I'm surprised. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially a Leafs game. Yeah. You're shocked. yeah. <laughs> it used to be, it used to be the complete other way around. I used to get to go to like one Leafs game a year. Yeah. And I remember my mom and I 
for it, the only way we used to get tickets is like a friend of a friend they died and they gave it to a neighbor same as today stole it and the, like nothing's changed no and we got to sit fifth row wow my mom and i and it was right when um they started introducing people come into your seat to to ask you like hey do you want some nachos or whatever and my mom i just remember her looking around going so this is how the other half lives yeah, yeah. and and we're sitting fifth row and wade belak drops the gloves mm-hmm. and i just remember being like oh my god i'm here for a wade belak fight <laughs> this is the best this is the best moment of my life now i get to go to all the leaf games i want and i was sitting there going Oh, oh my God, there's a fight yeah. there's a, for the first time in maybe 10 games that I've been to, there's a fight. And there were a grand total of 0.5 punches between Kasperi Kapanen and Jared McCann. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do highlights now. And, uh, you know, Dangle, you guys know I get the highlights cold, which means I don't see them. And they'll be like, there was a line brawl. So I'll read line brawl and halfway through it, I'll. I'm, I'm like, this isn't a line, bro. <laughs> I'll go down to the highlight row and I'll go, guys, I'm going to show you what a line brawl looks like. Line brawl is five on five. Everybody chucking. Maybe the goalies are going too. Not a bunch of you guys hugging. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not saying I'd chuck. Admire those who do. But, okay, here's one dangle. Name me the five most popular Leafs of all time. Just right off the top of your head. It's a... Depends on the generation, but uh, you'd go. be hard pressed to have a you'd be hard pressed to have a conversation with a Leaf fan that doesn't include Doug Gilmore. Yes. That doesn't include Wendell Clark. Yes. <sighs> Daryl Sittler, Tiger Williams, like just from our generation. Maybe for yeah. you, maybe for no. you, Belak. I don't know. Well, well, well Domi. Ty, Ty Domi. Oh, yeah, you Domi get into the arguments. You start yeah. getting into the arguments of, but you cannot have a conversation across any generation that doesn't include Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark. Right. I know exactly where you're going. And why was Wendell so popular? He, he scored a lot of goals and sometimes he beat people up. Exactly. He took no crap from nobody at no time. And he got everybody out of their seats. And he got people out of their seats by either scoring on a wrister, by hammering somebody with his body or hammering somebody with his fists and going all out. When you saw Wendell, you're like, there's a guy that if I was in the NHL, that's what I'd play. Like he just gives it his all every night. And if you, if you can't beat him on the ice, you beat him in the alleys. And those are the people that resonate with guys. And in hockey, we've, and I get it. I get the legalities. I get the concussion problems. I don't want to see anyone suffer after hockey. I don't want to see a guy go fight twice a night for 80 games. That's not going to help anyone. But that edge has to be there, and Wendell played with the ultimate edge, and I think that's what makes him so, so popular in the in Leafs lore. And I think the game is at times lacking that edge. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true, and I mean, I think if you were to like, if anybody that watched Boris Salming play, that guy, uh, that was there was no messing around with Boris Salming. No, uh, there was no messing around with um, you know. Unless it was Toronto, on. like what, like Darcy Tucker was enormously popular. Tucker, <laughs> the best Bob Cole name of all time is Darcy Tucker. Tucker. <laughs> every every time I see Darcy Tucker, I, Tucker. <laughs> I love watching his Instagram because every once in a while in the Insta stories, he'll be watching his old games. Oh, Darcy. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. just. There's a guy that loves hockey. Loves uh-huh. hockey. I always say he has. 
I always want to, we do a lot of banquets and hockey events together. And I say, best angry face in the world belongs to Darcy Tucker. Well, get angry. Da, da, da. <laughs> what there was one nuts. last night he was going after, it was on Instagram. Who was he going after? I want to say the, geez, it was somebody on the Bruins or something. I'm looking for a, a photo I'm going to show you guys. So, uh, but yeah, Darcy would get so angry. And I absolutely loved every second of it because he just, he just played with pure passion. Oh, here, here it is. So whenever I see D- Tucker, I just yell out Tucker. So here we are one night after uh, Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada wrapped up. If you can, can you see what the sign says? Is the glare on it? It's a bit of a glare. Uh, oh, just, 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 just Tucker. Tucker. <laughs> Tucker. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we've we've told the story often, and we won't tell it again. But he, yeah, look at that. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> terrifying. That's, what that's, that's Darcy. That's Darcy. But but you love him because he's playing the way you think you'd play just Mm -hmm. come on i gotta win and i'm gonna do anything for the guys around me to win the way you think you'd play that's such a good way of putting it it's a fantasy we all think we would do what these guys could do right well with the goal the reason i ended up with frank beaton was he feels the way i think i'd feel if i scored and those are the guys who resonate with people those in the and the the absolute greats right the absolute greats is wow i couldn't do that but with the guys who just play with that edge you're like that's what i would do to make it that's i think that's why they resonate speaking of absolute greats did you see uh connor mcdavid's house okay why is twitter so worked up about what did you what did you guys think he was gonna live in a shack like i live in yeah is that a problem he makes 12 and a half million dollars was did that become a problem no why why are people like oh my god look at his house i'm like well what of course look at his house right like what what do you think he was gonna fashion his house out of IKEA furniture like <laughs> I do? Like, his his pads, his pads, awesome man. That's exactly what I, I I would. Geez, I'd have water slides and I'd have a I'd probably have a, a slushy maker, you know, oh. or something like that. Yeah. So but you know what I did love about his house, and I quickly went over it because I don't try not to get into that. He had a Jimi Hendrix poster, which means he likes good music, not not this modern day dance music the players warm up to. I was talking with. <laughs> I was talking with one player at a golf tournament and I go, I go, I gotta be honest. When I go get, when I go to a game, I can't watch you guys warm up. It's like, why not? This guy's like 24, 25, a good player. I go, because I hate your freaking music. All this boom boom dance techno crap. I'm like, put on some kickstart my heart, get some Motley Crew going, get some ACDC. He's like, I love that stuff. I'm like, I'm lost on you guys. I'm so old. <laughs> I just I just don't get anywhere. Like I used to love watching warm up, right? Guys. Like, I'd go out, I'd be looking at the other players, I'd be grooving, getting my groove on. Guys would have no buckets on, skating around, you know. Now, those days are over, boys, because I, I can't tolerate the music. And I remember going to games and old guys sitting around me going, well, they turned down that music, and that's me now. That's me. <laughs> and for yeah. more of that dance techno crap, turn it turn into Virgin Mornings. Not uh, yeah. time, Virgin Radio. <laughs> Monday through Friday in Toronto or on the uh, Radio app. Uh, <laughs> I got Like, if you play your music, and here, here's another thing, Adam, you're an actual DJ. Mm-hmm. A DJ. When I go to some place and I see some moron calling himself a DJ playing music off a of Mac, I'm like <laughs> you're just a glorified CD player, bud. Like, not, <laughs> why, why, why did, why do the DJs need an ear thing if they're just playing the music off their Mac computer? Oh like, man, I, Spotify like can do that. Spotify so I can do that. A Halifax story for you. I used to go to a bar uh, when I was doing overnights at 101.3 The Bounce, which is now 101.3 Virgin Radio. Yeah. DJCH FM, Ken. Okay. What uh, bar? What bar? Peddlers, which oh, was. Yeah. You remember Peddlers? Yes. 
it's closed now, which is a shame. But Peddler's was like a spillover bar. But we went because we could get in every time. And yep. you never had to pay cover on that one. Yep. And uh, they were the first bar in Halifax, I think, to have videos associated with the music they were playing, which was a big deal, you know, 12 years ago. Yeah. And this one guy came in and we realized we kept walking in at different points of the night. But when we started getting in at the same time, he was playing the exact same playlist and he would yeah. stand and it was just a playlist that he'd pre-mixed and it was the same playlist every Friday. And he'd had his headphones on and we're like, wait a sec, this guy's not actually DJing at all. He was lip. He's the Millie Vanilli of DJs. Yes. He just <laughs> Got paid well for it, though. I mean, good for him, I guess. But it's all aesthetics, man. It's all it's all about the look, isn't it? It is. It's it is all about the look. So you saw a fake DJ. Oh yeah, many, many, right. yeah. many, many, many. I remember we did. Uh, we used to do live to airs. It used to be called Fahrenheit Friday. So anybody who's listening from uh, Halifax who remembers that about ten years ago, we do it at the Dome. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, Never the, heard the, of ever, it. Yeah. <laughs> which Al, is Al Brown used to go to the Dome. Al Brown. Real name, uh, he was an adult film star from Halifax, and he'd always be at the Dome. You guys would know him by, you guys would know him by his stage name, but since this is a family podcast, I'll tell you after we stop okay. recording. Okay. All right. It's, it, isn't, it is restricted, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> if you want to yeah. tell us. No, no, it's fine. No, okay, all right. It was, it was Peter North. He's Peter, from Halifax. Peter North was from Halifax? Yes, yeah, he's from Halifax. Yeah, so my buddies would always see him at, uh, at uh, oh the Dome. Yeah. Yeah. My well, buddy, that's my wild. You know the graft you know the Grafton Street Dinner Theater. Yes. Anyway, my buddy was an actor in that and he had to serve Peter Brown Peter North. He comes over and is like, You're Peter North. He's like, Call me Al. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that you know, I, and I've told this on the podcast before, Ken, but uh, when I moved there, they had just outlawed dollar shots. Oh yeah, because that was that was a bad day in Halifax. It was, it was because and 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 because somebody had been thrown through the window at the at the dome, and that it was also a, a bad story. day in Halifax. Bad, yes. Yeah, so so then the next day, I'm at the bar, and it's two dollar shots instead. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. was still pretty good. good it was boy. a it's a wild place to party. Halifax well, is great. So, well, my buddy of mine signed in the NHL when we were just kids. I was like, I don't know, 21, 22. He got a sign and bonus, so he went out that summer. And we were at uh, JJ's where the shots were 50 cents. And uh, we, we got like 30 bucks worth. And it was like we were multimillionaires. It was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, just trays of it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I think I can afford this. Like, 30 bucks? Wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the thing was, in, in, the, in, the, in the facts back in the day, man, if you had 10 bucks in your pocket, you were good to go. It's not like yeah. that anymore. But yeah, you could uh, you could have a good night for $10 back in the day. Yeah, I used to, I'm, honestly, right up until I was there, I, I used to drink on 10, 15 bucks a week. Yeah. That's, that's was, all I had money for. Nuts. I don't know. Well, and here's real hardcore. So back in the day, uh, so you could get a drink for a dollar. There's 50 cent shots or whatever. But the, the real hardcores would get an in where they could go on the Navy boats and get a shot of rum for 10 cents. So, you know, Jeez. if you can't if you can't stretch that ten dollars far enough, you know, <laughs> was that just like recruitment? Get them drunk enough and get them to might, sign up? Might have been. Might have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, that, that, was, that was the truth. Yeah. It's but a it wild was, city. It is. It's calmed down, uh, which is probably for the best. Because <laughs> then we have the stories, right? Absolutely. Now, yeah. I got to ask you guys, because uh, Jesse, you, did you collect hockey cards growing up? Uh, I did uh, Pokemon cards and Pokemon baseball cards. cards. Okay. Wow, you okay. talked to fewer girls than I did. <laughs> oh, I was Not a loser. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Uh, me too. 
I also collected those. So I want to ask you, I'm going to ask the whole, the whole panel here, the whole hot stove, your favorite card growing up and your favorite card now, if you still have it, which is specifically targeted at Stephen Ken, because okay. I don't believe I've got my cards anymore. Favorite one growing up, my 7980 Wayne Gretzky rookie that my mom brought home for us. It was in a box of cards. Uh, she didn't know there was a Gretzky rookie in there. But she got the box for 10 bucks. We read through there was a Gretzky rookie. Uh, my brother and I share it. And yes, I still have it. What's it worth? Uh, geez, you know what? Uh, Gretzky book, like Gretzky rookies have been going nuts for the last couple of years. The last six months, they've just gone insane. So you like book value on a Gretzky rookie was 800 bucks and it shot up to 2,500 this month. But like, but that's just because the guide finally caught up. Uh, the one I have isn't in the best condition. It's probably 750, a thousand bucks. But uh, I had one a while back that was worth quite a bit and I unloaded it before all this insanity started. Uh, I, you know, but it's, yeah. If, but the thing is condition is everything, right? Everyone's like, Oh, my Gretzky's mint. No, it's not. Uh, no. So yeah, it's so it's uh, PSA 10 went for 450,000. And there's another one for auction right now. There's only two graded 10 in the world. It's people think it might go for over a million bucks. So there you Whoa. go. There's yeah. uh, I'm on, I'm on eBay right now. There's a Gretzky rookie that's graded four, which yeah. is garbage. Yeah. And it's got 29 bids just under $800. <laughs> Right. So the speculative oh. value is there, right? You can yeah. But the amazing thing about the Gretzky rookie, it's not a rare card. Like they're everywhere, but everyone wants one, right? So if you have, let's say, five hundred thousand hardcore hockey card collectors across Canada, and there's still four hundred thousand Gretzky's made, or three hundred thousand, or two hundred thousand, whatever, everyone still wants one. It's going to drive the price, the better condition, the more rare, you know. So that's that's what drives the value. Supply and demand, as I learned in grade ten. From Mr. Ron, from Ron Mason, economics. That was another classic Picto Academy teacher. I might have been grade eleven. I can't remember. I Mr. found Mason. another four. That's thirteen hundred dollars. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Four is only what VGX. Uh, it's very, very good, excellent condition. Yeah, it's not mint. It's not even close. What makes something mint, Ken? Well, there you go. That's the, that's the eternal argument, Adam. Uh, perfect. And there's been two Gretzky's graded 10 by PSA. And one to me is not even close because it's got so the cards from Opeachy back in the day were cut with very thin razor blades. They never replaced them. So it's got the cardboard kind of hanging off the side so that it has to be centered perfectly. There has to be no creasing. There has to be original gloss on the card. It's just got to look like it has never been touched by human hands, basically. So a lot of people think they're going to open up a pack and the card's going to be mint. Well, that's not the case. So I'll show you what makes mint right here. So this is a Johnny Bauer. This is a reprint. It's just hanging around. The kids like it. But if you can see from this border to this border, it's not perfectly centered. So that's mm -hmm. not going to not gonna get you a 10. Uh, there's no creases. This corner's a little dinged. I would say if that got graded, it'd be like a 7 or an 8. So And, and by the just by the looks of it, it looks perfect. So... Uh, yeah, I went to a friend's house. He had a Bobby Orr. It was the best Bobby Orr I've ever seen. A Bobby Orr rookie card has never been graded a 10. It's from this set. The wood borders chip really easily, so there's often white on the borders. And his, I'm like, that, geez, that might be like an 8 or a 9. And he's like, is it a 10? I'm like, I don't want to say that. But he got, he flew it to uh, PSA. It came back at 4. It had wow. a year. It had a hairline crease on it somewhere, and we still to this day can't see the crease. I got an 80, 81 Gretzky card. It's the closest to perfect I think I've ever seen, and I got it graded. It came back at two. And oh, I'm like, wow. 
and they don't tell you what the problem is. Right. So I'm like, where is there a crease on this? And I still I can't understand it, but it's uh, when you're grading a card, you're basically just giving it to someone else to judge so that if you and I have a deal on a card there, it's like an arbitrator, right? He's going to judge that this is a seven. So that you and I can go, okay, it's a seven. Problem is, is the card guys get together and like, well, that's a weak seven. It's not a strong seven. And I'm like, Oh for God's sake. It's like salary cap. Grading cards is like salary cap and escrow. I don't okay. really like to talk. <laughs> it's interesting to know though, for like outsiders like me. Oh like yeah. It's like a, and it's, I feel bad for people who go to sell their cards that inherit them. There's a lot of sharks out there, obviously in anything where you can make money. And it's so confusing because you can have a Gretzky and someone who can hear it sold for 450,000, but they don't know what makes it 450,000. And who do you trust to tell them what's, what it's, what's going to make it that grade. So, but this is the most valuable card I have right here. It's got a $120 price tag on it. It's not worth $120, but that's my son, Jacobian. Oh, hey, <laughs> come on, Ken. That's beautiful. Look at his jersey, Daniel. Look jersey. at his jersey. You're raising oh, him right. Man. No, it's, listen, growing up in Toronto, I'm like, my one fear is my child will be a Leafs fan. So, well, know, hard, and it's not that I don't want him to like the Leafs. I just don't want him to have a life of misery, right? I want uh, him to be happy. You can't live a life without heartbreak. So as long as he's getting it over with the Leafs, he should be good. Yeah, right. go, it is. Yeah. It is something that haunts me. I don't know if I want to put my kid through that. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you've already started. I see. <laughs> yeah, already you started, know. but like, I, was I don't know. I was an Expos fan in baseball, buddy, diehard. So that's that's heartbreak as well. So I I I feel your pain. Maybe not to your extent, but I feel people your pain. people do not believe me. But if Leo grew up to be a fan of another team, I think yeah. that'd be fun. Like, cause cause then, like, let's say he's a fan of I don't know Detroit. Yeah. Every game between the Leafs and Red Wings in this house is a pay-per-view event. <laughs> like we, it would be a full day. And by full day, I mean full week, like the yeah. whole lead up. If there's a home and home, don't I'm, I'm writing him sick notes. He doesn't have to do any homework. Like, ah, God, I can't wait. My brother was a huge Oilers fan. And on the rare occasion where the Oilers played the Habs on hockey night, there was, it was like a three hour fist fight. Like there was, blood. <laughs> I remember one night there was blood uh yeah it was we just went at her man that's amazing yeah that's so was, amazing yeah it was awesome yeah and my brother's two and a half years younger than me and he could beat the living hell out of me so shows you how tough i am steve what's your uh your favorite card you've ever had it doesn't have to be hockey by the way it can be pokemon if you wanted to because i know you got those too now i wasn't a huge pokemon cards guy um the cards didn't get big until i was getting a little older jesse was still a kid i think that's why it was so huge to him oh yeah um i got an ovechkin rookie uh when i was young and uh, young guns oh wow that's a good one yeah i got a i got a stammer rookie oh uh i know well here i'll pull this one down it's right in front of me one sec this one is a one of 15. So there's only 15 in the world. It's a game used Felix pot van. Uh, it's got the logo. Oh, oh in nice. the oh, card, the O and the M from the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's very cool. Yeah. It's extraordinarily cool. Well, and to think, to think that, you know, I grew up watching this guy and idolizing this guy. And to think I probably saw 
this part of this logo. I probably saw yeah. this part of his jersey on TV. Yeah, it's pretty neat. This is well, probably something that I grew up, you know, idolizing. Hence the essence of the hobby, right? It's your connection to the game or your connection to a player. That's like some people, for some people, it's an investment. For some people, it's an emotional investment. So there you go. Uh, you best, best hit I've had is I pulled a funny looking Mark Savard card that was all yellow. And I didn't understand why it was all yellow and it was like kind of metal or plastic. And what I actually did was, I don't know if Upper Deck still does this, but I pulled a printing plate. Oh, wow. Oh. So what, what they do is it's, it's like a, what is it? A three or four color system that they use to make every cards. And then they'll take the plate once they're done and they'll put it into a card or they'll make it a card and you can find it in a pack. And the plate is one of one. Like cool. there, there is. So if you pull the yellow plate, like I did, there is no other yellow plate. They use that wow. one yellow plate. So it was a one of one. Do you ever tell Savvy you got that? I don't. I don't know if he'd care. You know him. But, <laughs> I think yeah, Mark, I might have. Mark, Mark wouldn't care. Okay. He'd be like, "How are you taping your stick, though?" <laughs> so I got. I, I I regret it because I had no money, and my uncle was a big uh, eBay seller. So I was like, "Here, put this on eBay," and it got like sixty bucks. So yeah, and, that, uh, that's what, that's what you should tell Mark. Yeah, you're worth sixty bucks. You bum! I wish I pulled a better card. No, <laughs> I I wish, uh, like I needed the sixty bucks badly yeah, at the time, yeah. and now I'm like, God, I would gladly pay twice that just to get that card back, like something that I owned. Um, yeah. another really bad. Oh, so I made two really bad mistakes with hockey cards, Kenny. And again, I was making these decisions when I really needed the money. Understandable. Two Ovechkin young guns, and I yeah. sold one Oof. in his sophomore season. Oof. Okay, his sophomore season is when I think he scored forty-five, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's a bust. Yeah, he's yeah. never gonna hit fifty again." Yeah, sell and high. I, got, I think I got forty-five bucks for it. Oh, wow! <laughs> I remember selling uh, three Steve Eiserman rookies at a flea market for two bucks a piece. This is in nineteen eighty-nine. Oh, that's what, no. that, that's what they were worth then. Uh, I sold my McDavid rookie right away. I got it in a pack and I, and I don't like new stuff. So I'm like, well, I'll take the money. Uh, uh, it's worth more now, but it was worth what it was then. So, but that's the thing when you sell cards, you kind of like, you just move on, right? You, yeah. you got what it was worth at the time. You got what it was worth at the time. Um, yeah. And everyone has a horror story about selling something, but, uh, my eyes were all doubles. So I still get the original, you know, that, that was my thing. I sold doubles back in the day. So, right. Right. You know. And uh, my, my other, my other horror story was there was a, a rookie card or no, there was a card that I wanted. And I want to say it was like $15 at the flea market. It was a game. It was a, it was a Felix pot van, uh, card with a piece of game used stick in it. Yeah. Um, from when he was with the Canucks. And I was like, well, it's Felix Poffin. I don't care what team he was with. I, w I want it. Uh, and I had a rookie card. And I was like, eh, this rookie doesn't mean anything to me. So I'll sell it. I'll, I'll trade it. And I traded it straight up. That guy became a leaf, I want to say, like three months later. It was Phil Kessel. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I, I could have got, I don't know, it's a leaf. Like, I, I could have yeah. got so much. Hey, I'll bring you in a bunch of Felix Potvin upper deck rookies from when he was on Team Canada. You probably got that, the World Junior one, right? Yes. Hey, you know uh, what I got behind me? What? You have my stick. 
Your stick, uh, I should yeah. say. No, nice. yes. Yeah. yeah. Your Felix stick. Isn't that awesome? Very Amazing. Cool. Family across the street was getting rid of a bunch of sticks. I'm like, do you want this? I'm like, that's signed by Felix Potvin. They angle like that. It's like 10 <laughs> oh, bucks, right? No, it was nothing. They just gave it to me. What? Yeah. Man, that was good of you, Ken. You yeah, could have no brought for that on the market. That was, uh, <laughs> you gave me that when uh, you brought Eddie Shack in. Yes, yes, I did. I yes. was gonna, I was gonna bring you a bunch of Felix cards this time, but you're gonna, you got your, uh, your. Well, we're, we can't see each other, but I got a good Shikutami one for you too. So there you go. Ooh, me. Oh, by the way, uh, before Jesse goes, that everybody has their hockey card regret story. Uh, in hot, well, so Sidney Crosby was nice enough to write the forward to hockey card stories oh, too for me. And his story is he got ripped off for a, he traded his uh, uh, Mario Lemieux rookie for some pro site cards at the Penhorn Mall back in Nova Scotia back in the day. So everybody has a has a hockey oh. card regret. But he wanted the pro sets, man. It's all about what you want. Oh, oh. man. Woo! Yeah. 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 No, I, he, I feel like he needs Jesse the money I, now. <laughs> if Sid wanted to, he could buy a Mario rookie. But it's a, <laughs> see, that's the other thing. The other thing is it's just you get a story out of it, right? So yes. what's more valuable to you, the Lemieux card or the story? And that's to me, that's what it's that's all about the stories, guys. That's so we all get stories here, right? That's the beauty of it all. I feel like Jesse and I should have gone first because yours is gonna be way better than ours. But uh, yeah. Jesse, what is what is yours? Favorite uh, card all time. I still have all of my cards from when I was a kid. I have a giant stack of Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon uh digimon and baseball cards in like a shoebox in my condo locker somewhere so i still have all those but they're all in bad condition and my Ah. cards especially because i used to put them on the floor and then flick little balls and pretend like i'd line up as a field and be like (laughs) okay this is the pitcher and he's pitching this guy and this guy just hit a home run i remember my favorite card as a kid was um i think it was raw mondesi because I, oh, uh, I didn't have any Blue Jays cards. And then one day I got a Royal Mondesi card. So I was like, yes, this is it. I got a Jays card. Because my peak of Jays fandom was probably that little 98-2003 swing where Ace was like an actual cartoon on the jersey. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> my God. I, I like how you guys, are, you guys are talking about the rookie card jet as a kid. And I'm like, I was playing old-timers hockey then. <laughs> <laughs> i saw Raul mondesi hit a grand slam once it was oh, cool he did the only grand slam out. i've ever seen uh they won the game which was not it was like ninth inning and he was he came up wow. and, and cracked one the, and uh the old man behind me hits me on the shoulder he's like you never see those you say you may never see one of those again so enjoy it <laughs> so that's why i remember and, and, it. and then i walked away yeah <laughs> exactly. i gotta beat the traffic but Jesse, from the from what I hear, the Pokemon stuff's on fire right now too. Yeah. But I don't know anything about that. Um, I do have a binder filled with my Pokemon cards, so maybe a couple of those are in good condition. Down payment yeah. on a house, man. There I got yeah, it. Out. Those are going nuts right now. Yeah, I have a lot of them, so I'll take a look. You should. I'm excited to hear what what, what you get. Um, I had a an '89 Doug Gilmore Calgary Flames OPG. Oh. With the mullet, he had the full, beautiful mullet. People don't give Doug Gilmore's mullet enough credit. Everybody gives it to Yager. Doug Gilmore's mullet was gorgeous. Right down to his shoulder blades. Dangle, can you uh, quickly Google Doug Gilmore pinnacle hockey card? There's a close-up of him, and it's also on his his upper deck. I'm talking like 92, 93, all-star McDonald's card, Mm. where he's in like 92 mullet. And 
Doug's cool because he'll talk to you about the mullet. Again, he was in one of my books, and it was the upper deck one where he was posing with the jeans. He had the mullet going. Oh, I love like, that. Doug embraced it, man. And you gotta you gotta own it, right? Like we were talking about earlier, guys. If James <laughs> Ryan's your favorite player, you own it. So yeah, yeah. Doug, Doug, you owned it. But those Doug, cards were huge. Those '89 OP cheese. Those were very good ones. He was uh, he was my favorite. And there's it. So I'm Gosh. looking it up right now to see if I can find. Look it. at that! Look at that! There look at the pinnacle. Yeah, right. That's gorgeous. Right. It looks, looks like he's then. piggybacking a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wait, was the style then. I love it. Mine love wasn't. It. Mine wasn't OPG. It was Pro Set. Okay. Okay. But it was this? It's this guy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's the second year Pro Set. But oh, you know yeah, what's I got funny? It's really like look at Doug's hair back then. I'm like his hair was awesome because I was the geek with wheels from Degrassi glasses, wishing I had hair like that. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> And I did have wheels from Degrassi glasses. They were like this did you? big. Oh, yeah. They were awful. The size yeah. of your head. Coke pants? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, if, you, if you guys ever saw that picture, man, it was, it was, I lived, I lived a very lonely life for a number of years, boys. It wasn't, uh... so did Jesse. He played baseball card baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I just learned you're a dork. Like, oh, yeah. rival us. I didn't. Uh. If it makes know. you feel any better, Jesse, I line my cards up by position as well on the floor, but mm-hmm. I, uh, oh, yeah. I, I did not uh, throw balls at them because <laughs> they're you know, all I, I, I knew I had to keep them in pristine condition. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't screwing go. around with that, but yeah, the, the pro set were huge back in the day eh? and they printed those things 24 seven. I don't think the press has ever stopped. They may still be printing off 1991 pro set. <laughs> That's even the though- problem. All, yeah, they're not worth anything, right? Yeah. yeah, all my friends are like, "Can you take a look at my hockey cards?" And I just, I just no. go, "When are they from?" And they go, yeah. oh, "The early '90s." I go, "Throw it in the garbage." <laughs> I get, I get so many. I get people reaching out to me. I get people reaching out to me on Instagram today and and Twitter going, and I'm like, well, "What year are they from?" 1990. I'm like, "I'm sorry." Like, it <laughs> makes no sense. It makes no sense that an Eric Lindros rookie card is only worth about a buck, but they printed off eight bazillion of them, right? Bro, so. you're not going to believe this. I got four Sundin rookies, and I always go, I'm surprised you only have four. Yeah, yeah. no, no kidding. Like I had I had a Sundin rookie, Quebec, uh, with the visor and everything. Yeah, yeah Lindros, yeah. Set. Sundin, Yager. Yeah. Yep. Worthless. Oh, yeah. And it's so crazy because that era produced so many great rookie cards, but there's so damn many of them. It's just like you know what do you do so um jesse are we doing a press conference uh no okay all right well listen i think uh i mean ken we've kept you for two hours already buddy so uh, boys i have no life i don't mind. <laughs> uh, I, i'll be honest i'm gonna be down here in the basement when this is done anyway you know <laughs> well <laughs> here well, well, one last plug uh, ken's book is called oh, yeah. this team is oh, ruining yeah. my life it's available at uh, all chapters and <laughs> Dangle, how many books have you sold? Have you figured it out yet? You are a prestigious author, and are you going to write another book? Uh, I'm uh, actually, uh, yeah, I am working on another book. Cool. What's on? Oh. What's on? Can you divulge? Didn't even know that. It's. I have an idea for a kids book, actually. That I'm. Working is that breaking on. news? Oh, that's brilliant. That's uh, brilliant. I I suppose so. Oh. I, I don't know. Well, I haven't. I've. I that's I was uh, tweeting about. Uh, I was looking for illustrators, and I'm talking that's to a brilliant. few. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, no, I've been asked to do like a sequel to, uh, this team is ruining my life. And I'm like, it's a biography that I finished two years ago. Like you think I've lived like three decades worth of life over the past two years? No, that's, that's brilliant though, man. Like, 
you could easily do a children's book. That's that's mm-hmm. brilliant. That, that'll Working sell on hotcakes. That'll sell hotcakes. Way to go, buddy. Uh, in terms of in terms of how many books I've sold, I don't. I got it. I think it's it's close to twenty thousand. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. When you got when you got your royalty check, did you like just pimp it out for a night? Like just went to Red Lobster, went crazy, and all that. Stuff? <laughs> I think did I get it? No, you know what? I think I got. I want to say I got my royalty check during COVID. Yeah, during the pandemic. Yeah. So I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, which is good because with royalty checks from writing books in Canada, you can't afford anything anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well. Yeah. It's. I was told don't write a book for the money, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was true. It was very true. In the words of Kim Mitchell, some say I'm in it for the money. I'm just in it for the love, love, love. I'm just doing my rock and roll duty. There you go, boys. Before you go. Evidently, none of you know that song. Oh, was, I know that song. Because Kenny, it was released on. in 1990. You would, Adam. I know that song. You're actually obligated to play it. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, and that's on the Rockland Wonderland album. Oh, nice, buddy. Thank nice. You. See? I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm oh. an, oh, Kim Mitchell's I'm a, awesome, man. Yes, huge. And I love, oh. I love Rockland Wonderland. I think it's a great song. Oh, um so yeah no i'm a i'm a big classic rock guy ken so well, like when played. you so i i messaged ken directly guys he made a gary sharon reference you have no oh, idea yeah. who that is but no. he made one on an nfl uh, uh an nfl segment and gary sharon was the third lead singer of van halen and True. so i was like kenny oh my god and that was did, it. You, did you know that when <laughs> when the van halen hired gary sharon sash jordan also auditioned for van halen at that time really tell somebody it's true no it is true Fast Jordan edition for Van Halen. She can sing, man. Yeah, she can. Canadian oh. singer. Oh, yeah. Good set of pipes. Uh, Good yeah. set of pipes. Speaking well, this of, was fun, uh, boys. Speaking of music, Oops. Steve, I just yes. want to let you know that a Canadian gold album is certified at 40,000 units. So you're halfway oh. there. Wow. But I, well, I was, How pumped were you when they told you a Canadian bestselling book is 5,000? You're like, oh, that's, that seems attainable. Oh, the, when they told me, I'm like, I, I think I could do it. Yeah, was like, but, but then you start selling books. You're like, it's really hard to sell books. Yeah. Like, uh, luckily for you, you have a cult, right? Like, that's a good <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> the one. The one thing I'm annoyed about is I want to know. I want to know where I ranked in terms of. I know they books don't tell sold you. in 2019. No, in they don't Canada. tell you. And you I, probably made the Toronto Star list, did you? Bestsellers and all that stuff. Uh, seven times, but who's counting? What? Way to go, buddy! Way to go! And wow, I'll forever, awesome. I'll forever hold a grudge against Aaron Davis because uh, because I finished second to her. Wow! And that's the highest I got. I, I didn't you were get second? one. You were second. That's amazing, man. I was. Wow. I was. Uh, yeah, I was top ten seven times. You're you're my Peter Mansbridge. That's amazing. <laughs> Peter Mansbridge, my Peter Mansbridge. He was, he was on ice surfing. The first time I met Peter Mansbridge, it was at uh, the Leafs gift shop. It's like Peter. He's like, "Hey Ken." I'm like, "Oh, he knows why." He knows who I am. He's he was. Uh, I don't know why he chose to do this, but when he was on ice surfing, he was uh, he was just like, "Oh no, I watch your stuff or whatever." And and he was like, uh, you, "You know, keep keep going because you you, you got a magic." 
He, yeah. he said that. Wow. And even Jason York, who played in the NHL for many years, you you hear him. He's not on camera, but you just hear him on his mic go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's cool, man. Just like, Anybody watching or listening from the States, uh, Peter Mansbridge is our Kent Brockman but a lot more trustworthy yeah. um, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, a national treasure. We love Peter. You didn't, yeah. you picked Kent. Brock. I know. Well, I mean, I'd, go, I'd go Tom Brokaw. I'd go Tom, Tom Brokaw. Yes. Walter Cronkite, Tom Brokaw. I'm just going pop culture, but yes, a hundred percent. I am Kent Brockman I, reporting live. How do you know I, it's live? Penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I'm the Kent Brockman of the sports world, because if I did win the lottery, I would go on TV like Kent Brockman did covered in gold. And oh yeah. I hope you do Ken, just so we Uh, can see. Yeah. I hope I win the lottery too. Yeah. 17 uh, more books. You'll get there. I mean, really, uh, (laughs) it would take more than 17. Wouldn't it dangle? Uh, I'll tell you right now, if you buy my latest book, one to remember I'm what dangle. I'm looking at what royalties off that of at least 50 cents. You think? Ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah. I'll say this, Ken. Is your book available on Amazon? It is. Yes. Okay. Order it at another place because <laughs> Ken will make more money. Ah, <laughs> uh, just oh. order it. I, I need it for the ego. You want? You know, one of my favorite things about writing books is though, Dangle. And I don't know if you did this. It's when I make the thank yous at the back. I always just sneak in stuff for myself. So I don't know if you guys did this, but in the so thank you too. I go, blah blah blah. Uh, Warren Chris. So, so these are legitimate people, okay? Uh, Jackson Hout, Scott Gray, Darren Burns, Uncle Jesse Duke. So that's Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard. So, that's- <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do, I do, I do stuff like that. Uh, thank you to Tim Boyce, Brent Cron, Terry Ryan, Todd Warner, Dr. Grant Roberts. Grant Roberts was the dad on Danger Bay. See, I just do things like that for me. You guys know what Danger Bay is? No idea. Is it, it in was Cuba? A, I think I learned about it in school. It, it was it was a CBC show in the late in the eighties and late early nineties, and it was about Dr. Grant Roberts. And his, he was a uh, he worked at the Vancouver Aquarium, and he single he was a single dad to his kids Jonah and Nicole. And at the end of every episode, he would knock a guy out and then hug his children. It would end in a freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> the story arc would always lead to Grant Roberts knocking a guy out and ending in a freeze frame. So he made my thank you. So one day on the radio in Edmonton, I'm making jokes about Dr. Grant Roberts and a guy, cause we had the callers, a guy calls in. He's like, yeah, the guy played uh, Grant Roberts. He's my second cousin. I'm like, how Canadian is that? Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Well, Ken, real pleasure. One more time on the book. What's it called? Where should we get it? Yeah. The book is called one to remember. Uh, you can get it at your local bookstore. Please support your local bookstore. Uh, yes. You can get it at Chapters Indigo, all bookstores, and on Amazon. But if you can buy it at your local bookstore, I'd appreciate that because everybody needs a little help right now. And uh, one last thing, Steve, are we allowed to say who's on the show next week? It better not be Tim and Sid or I'm not coming back. <laughs> it's not Tim and Sid. <laughs> Wait, did I invite myself on next week too? <laughs> well, uh, Steve? Adam, I like how you're asking my permission if we're allowed to. Yeah, go ahead. Brian Burke will be on the show next week. Uh, Me. Speaking, speaking of books. Of books. Man, his book's awesome too. Isn't it great? Buy oh, Kenny's first. Yeah. So yeah, Ken. Buy mine. Oh, this is a bookmark in his. This is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you, Ken. You thought, if, yeah. If you guys thought I was old school hockey. Oh yeah. You know, I was like the opening act for Berkey. 
<laughs> so let me ask you this, Ken. You shouldn't yeah, be one playing thing, with sticks. If there's one yeah. thing you can tell us about talking to Brian Burke, like pointer, a suggestion, uh, what, which, what are we in for? Listen, have your questions ready. Sometimes Berkey gives real short to the point answers. So be ready. So uh, I will go on for days and eons and you guys can rest, get a coffee, dangle and play with this James Reimer action figure. Uh, oh, by the way, he's going to chirp you hard about your action figures, dangle. Get ready for that. And <laughs> I don't if, care. You know, I, I would love it. And yeah, get ready for chirping. Berkey's a really good chirper. And uh, he's to the point. Uh, if you can ask him anything, though, ask him about uh, if the Philadelphia Flyers were tough in the late 70s, how tough were the Maine Mariners? That was the Flyers farm team, and Berkey played for them for a year. Mm-hmm. So make sure you get some good Maine Mariners stories out of them. Okay. That's my, one of my favorite parts of that book is his Maine Mariners thing. Yeah, yeah. He puts off thing. Harvard to go to play in the AHL. That's Amazing. crazy. Amazing, yeah. eh? Yeah. So I get, some, uh, get some AHL stories out of him for sure. Cool. Ken Reed, thank you so much. It was beautiful as always. And in a couple of weeks when your next book comes out, feel free to come back or don't have a book and just come back anytime. Hey, two I'll goals in, only. Two goals only. I'll invite myself on anytime. By the way, Colby Armstrong's brother, Riley, played two games and didn't score a goal. So he was so close on both oh. ends. But I played one game too many, bud. Didn't score any goals, bud. <laughs> and and Col- Colby but. Uh, Colby wrote the forward for this one. So, oh, that's go. great. That's yeah. awesome. By and himself? Uh, well, he, listen, he played, played in the WHL in the early 2000s. He might have had some help. No, he, Colby wrote the forward. He was, because my forward was Merrick and Colby. And I'm like, okay. no, this is just Jeff holding Colby's hand. Yeah, no, Colby wrote it. So, one more final one. So, we're talking about escrow last week and we're just like going, oh, God, we're at work. I'm going, I got to talk to Cole. I go, I got to talk to Colby about escrow. Cause I bet you he'd say, I just bought, I went to the dub, but I'll just listen to the NCAA guys. So FaceTime rings on Sunday and it's Colby's watching football. And I go, Hey, we were talking about escrow last week. And he goes, but I just listened to the college players, bud. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly what we thought, man. All time beauty. They're they're You know, they were talking about like stuff you miss and man, I missed that eight year old. Colby Armstrong just walking yeah. around and being an absolute child and brightening uh, everyone's day. Yeah, I can see why him and I hit it off because it was like two star-crossed lovers, right? I'm like, you <sighs> act like you're eight. I act, act like I'm eight. You played in the NHL. I wish I played in the NHL. You know, uh, my, my, dad, my dad, when he met Colby, I'm like, Colby, show dad your nose. My dad's a doctor. Dad's like, Jesus. Colby's like, <laughs> So what you think, Doc? And my dad goes, it's a medical marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Reed, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, boys. Appreciate it. The Steve Dangle Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E, and at Jesse Blake. Connection complete.